Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Pod Strickland. This is a live stream. This is episode 311. I'm your host, Shwini Poo, and I'm joined by my co-host, who you may have forgotten while he was traveling, jet-setting around Italy. His name is Stacy Patton. That is at Stacy Patton 89 on Twitter. Stacy, how are you? How are your travels? Buongiorno, in the words of Brad Pitt. Um, <laughs> that is That is the correct pronunciation. Pretty good. Uh, pretty good to visit the land of Dilano, Danilo Gallinari and I believe newly acquired Nick Dante DiVincenzo. So, uh, Ooh, you know, look at maybe that. that's what portended it. It's definitely possible. Um, it's all me, guys. That's that's the point I'm making. <laughs> it was always it's always been Toretto, Brian. Um, before we get started, I have to make a few nonsense. The first thing that's Strickland. Has an Instagram. Check that out. That is at the Strict.land on IG, posting all kinds of new content on there. The Strickland also has a YouTube channel where, if you're watching this, that's great. Uh, please hit like and then subscribe to the channel. That would be a huge help to us. The Strickland also has merchandise on our website, so check that out. You can find it all on there t shirts, sweatshirts, hats, water bottles, coffee mugs, you name it, we got it. And then the Strickland has a Patreon. You can subscribe to it, a number of different tiers. Six dollar tier that gets you access to this pod right here that I do. Uh, with prize every Friday, you also get access to the Strickland Mailbag, hosted by Drew, a.k.a. Doug, the Doug Bag. That comes out every other week, alongside Dallas Miko. You also get access to the Strickland Discord. There's a $9 tier that gets you access to Strickland Roll, Solo Potter, I rant and rave about the next even more. You also get access to wonderful premium articles by Matthew Miranda, one of the best in the business. There are further tiers, $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and $100 tier. This comes with a variety of additional benefits, like listening in on pod recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly one day, whether you choose to subscribe or not, and this would be possible without you. And then finally, this this show. This podcast would not be possible without Bet Online, which is your number one source for all your betting needs. You have the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use promo code Believe B L E A V for your fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. Uh, just. A heads up to those uh, in the comments. We are going to try to get to those at the end of the pod, but uh, for right now, we're just going to have a little chat because I haven't chatted with Stacy about uh, the New York Knickerbockers in a long time. I actually I don't have. I have no idea what your thoughts are about the things they have not done uh, for the most part in the last month, and a couple of things they did yesterday. Uh, we'll start with what is the most relevant, which is. The Knicks sign Dante DiVincenzo, four years, $50 million, uh, just below the full mid-level exception, fully guaranteed, apparently. Uh, I, I think so. At least, the, at least the way that Fred Katz put it in his article was that there were no options in, in the contract. So that still leaves open the possibility there's a non-guaranteed year, whatever the hell it is. So, uh, But I believe there's no options in it. And also... The Knicks traded Obi Toppin yesterday to Indiana for two second-round picks. We don't know yet. I, I don't believe what which second-rounders those are. Uh, Indiana has a bunch, so 
I would personally imagine that there are ones further out in the future, um, but we will see whenever that trade goes official, uh, which should be on July 6th. Um, I'm just going to let you cook here. Uh, Stacy. what were your thoughts on... Let's start with the Obi-Wan, because I feel like that's a little bit more... Um, I mean, I don't know. They're both kind of interesting moves. But I, I guess, what were your thoughts on the Obi-Top and trade, and ultimately, what are your thoughts on his tenure in New York and kind of how the Knicks, let's be quite honest, uh, mismanaged it. Yeah. Um, so with the trade, it's it's not particularly surprising. This was in the works for a while. I imagine if they had got, if they could have gotten a first firm at the trade deadline, I imagine they would have made the deal. Um, at I the think trade that, deadline? Yeah, this year, I think so. I, they got part. I'll, 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 I'll let you go, but I, I don't know if I agree, but go ahead. My, my take is that, well, I guess the reason this is an asset focused front office. So if you're going to keep Obi for, you know, post the trade deadline, it would be because, you know, you're making a playoff run. He's an important piece, but tips close games with hard at the four. He's shown a proclivity for that. Um, he's closed games where Obi was playing well without him in the playoffs. I don't think Tibbs was super attached to him. So if they said, hey, we're going to trade one of your rotation players, despite the fact we're in a playoff push because this is the most value we could recoup, I think he would have gone along with it. Um, so I, I imagine that, you know, the writing's been on for a, the, the wall for a while and they couldn't get a first for him this year. Maybe at the end of last year they could have, but, you know, keeping him may have been a way to hedge the bets on, you know, maybe Randall will not come back, right? So, um, you know, in terms of... In terms of asset management, um, it was less than ideal, but you can you can understand what's happened there. Um, in terms of as a player, like I'm going to miss the dude. Um, I said this on Twitter, like the loudest I've ever heard Madison Square Garden was after um, it was a sequence in game two of the, the Hawks series, the only playoff game the Knicks won that year. The only um, you know, In the first and recent memory, uh, the Knicks went up six on a possession where Obi switched on to Kevin Herter, moved his feet with him, got a block, then ran the floor in his like Forrest Gump running the floor away and caught an alley oop. And the floor was shaking. Like, that is the loudest I've ever heard of Madison Square Garden. Um, and I was there game uh, three this year against the Cavs. So, nice flex, dude. <laughs> uh, the point is that was pretty nuts. And it was, yeah, that's who he is, right? He brings energy. He gives a lot of effort on both ends. He's a very smart player. Um, but there's a reason why even on draft night, I don't think most of us, that was not the pick we wanted. A lot of fans wanted Tyrese Halliburton. Um, you know, I think most of us in the Strickland, a lot of us wanted Devin Vassell. I like Kira Lewis. Clearly I was wrong on that. He had a much better career so far than Kira Lewis. But I like Vassell too. Um, you know, Maxi Halliburton and his teammate Emmanuel Quickly are guys that went below him, and of course Bain that have had better careers. And you know, part of the reasoning around that was this is a guy who's kind of a four or five tweener. Um, he's ideally probably a five on offense as a roll man, a short roll guy, used a little bit like maybe the way Draymond is used on the Warriors with his passing ability, and you know can handle the ball a little bit even if he's not super shifty, can uh, knock down the occasional three, but. You know, as a stretch four, it's a little weird fit on offense. But on defense, he's not ideally a five because um, you, know, you can't really play drop coverage. Um, 
so it, it became a little bit of, of, and you know, he's probably not agile enough or laterally agile enough to play the three, but you take all of that away. And what I think he's shown is that he's a 20 to 25 minute guy, whether he's a starter or bench guy who can energize your team, who knows his limitations. And it, because of how smart he is, I don't think he's ever like sunk the Knicks on defense. He's had some bad, he's not, you know, he, he's had some lineups where maybe he, uh, and matchups where maybe he can get exploited, but I don't think he's ever been this kind of anchor on defense. Well, that's the wrong word, but he's never been like this kind of um, albatross on defense, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like <laughs> so, maybe at the start of his rookie season, and obviously like there are individual game stretches where he is not good on defense, but like, you know, that's like saying Brunson's an albatross on right, defense. Yeah. yeah, it's... He well, Bunchson is more of one. That's my yeah. point, right? Like Obi, you can is, get away with it a little bit more though with the guard, don't you think? You can. That's that's the consideration. That at that position, that that is why we harp on Randall's defense so much. Right? I have seen people say, "One, like, wh- why are you so concerned with Randall's defense? Like, Brunson's pretty ass on defense too." It's like, well, a when Randall drops forty-one in an elimination game, I will, I will give him a break on defense. <laughs> and two, but to the the more salient point. Um, it does, it matters more for bigs, and that is kind of the reality of the situation with Obi. Um, but in terms of the mismanagement, I think that as much as like I think Tibbs could have done a lot more, I think Obi should have got been given more of a chance last year when Randall was going through whatever Randall was going through. And there's just been times where it feels like Tibbs has had it in for Obi. As much as that's true, there is a bit of a ceiling in terms of how integral a player like that can be. When they're not a plus, or I would say on the whole, he's like a slightly below average defender who can be exploited in certain matchups. And on the whole, preparation H does feel good. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, on that sense, like I don't think it's like like if they traded IQ, I would get it. It's, and we can talk about that and talk about Divincenzo. If they traded IQ, I would have a feeling like they might have punted on a real high upside guy. I think they have punted on Obi having a more upside than he showed here. And maybe being something like a Montrez Harrell type impact guy, uh, like a really good six man big off the bench and give you twenty to twenty five minutes, juice your offense, maybe swing some games in the playoffs. Um, but um, did they punt on a potential like high level starter? No. Uh, and given that, I think two second round picks is good, and we can re- re- revisit the draft as well. Look, they didn't know that this was going to happen, Randall. I would assume that most parties were willing to move on. It didn't, um, and then you know, and then it. it I, we've been both been very critical of Randall. If you want to move on from Randall, I get it. I think the idea that Obi was going to be that replacement is a little bit tough. If they were Robert of Randall, I would have wanted them to bring in another four. Maybe it was someone who would split time with Obi, but I would have wanted some them to bring in more of a defensive four anyway. Yeah, maybe like a big wing, like somebody like six eight seven one, like Paul George upside. So Cam Reddish, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> um, but um, but they, you know, I, you know, I actually thought you were making a pitch for one of the McDaniel's brothers. But oh, um, no, no. I mean, I look the Jalen McDaniel's thing. I think he would have been. He's like a fun. I don't want to say a punt, but like, it's a bet, right? Like you don't really know how good he is or isn't. I think he's at least like a bench guy. Like he's not a he's an NBA player, right? He's not a guy that like should not be in the NBA with but intriguing he, tools, right? Right. Like, he has intriguing tools. Is he, does he shoot well enough to justify being a starting four? Probably not. Um, bench four, bench three, four, whatever. I think that's a 
defined role for him. How impactful is that? I don't know. And um, we can talk about that later when we talk about DiVincenzo, which I actually, I mean, look, I really like that signing, to be honest. Yeah, me too. Um, but to go back to the OB thing, wouldn't So what, I, I'll just close with this, too. Like, yep. also the trade. The trade happened. I hope everyone realizes this. People are like, well, Leon Rose's son is his agent, right? Well, that's probably why they traded him too, right? I'm sure Obi wanted out, and he's in a pretty ideal situation. And I wonder if there might have been a situation that got him a better second-round pick or something, but they sent him to a place where he's probably going to thrive, close to where he went to college, because they have that relationship. And the fact that they drafted his brother also tells me that, you know, whatever mismanagement happened, I imagine the relationship is still fine between the parties. So, you know, it's a business thing. Um. Yeah, so I will say this about Obi. I'm not. Sh- I, I think in like 90 percent of situations around the league, he's not a high end starter. Um, but a team with a stretch five may be able to use him and unlock him and maximize what he can give you uh, as a role man, as a short roll creator, passer, whatever. Um, that the Knicks with their centers never were going to be able to. And so, like, honestly, I think if I were Boston, I may have kicked the tires if the price was two second-round picks. I don't know what's, if they have second-round picks from other teams or if they have all their seconds in the future. They, they should. I mean, they should have seconds because they made all those trades on draft night to accumulate future seconds. I would have maybe kicked the tires on that as a low, low-cost acquisition after getting Porzingis. Um, just because I think that's an intriguing fit, but I think the Knicks would have been opposed to trading him within the division. I guess is the question. I don't think so. I mean, they traded him to within the conference, and I know that like Indiana was well outside the playoff picture last year, but they also are a young team. You know, uh, they were competitive as- until they benched Halliburton. So, yeah. I mean, as much as I like to clown Tyrese Halliburton, who, by the way, that contract, like I'm, I'll be, I'm, I just want everybody to know this. If you see me or hear me championing uh, Tyrese Halliburton for All-NBA next year. Understand, it's about the long con, okay? Um, but to to go back to Obi, like, I don't think they would have been opposed to it because I just think they, at least how they've operated, it seems like they're willing to trade based on value, not too concerned with, like, can't trade him in the division, right? I mean, they they tried to get OG and Obi, right? Um, they, they traded, I know it wasn't a huge trade, but they did trade Austin Rivers to Philly. Um, like they've, they've made trades in division or at least tried to make trades in division. So I don't think they're opposed to that. Um, and like they've traded with Detroit again, not that Detroit is a, is competition, but there's a lot of like, Oh, like you see this in the NBA all the time, right? It's like, Oh, they don't want to trade him in the conference, right? You don't want to see that guy fucking three, four times a year. Um, so like, I don't think they're opposed to that stuff. Um, but to bring it back to, to Obi specifically, I'll say this, like, the trade, it, that trade was, it was, you were never going to get some awesome return. So, like, if you were expecting more than what they got, you're basically talking about, like, maybe they would have gotten an, an extra second or a protected first from a team that's really good and wants to take a punt on a guy they think maybe is misused. Like, say, Boston, right? Maybe Boston would have been like, yeah, we'll give you our protected first next year for Obi. And, like, on the surface, you'd be like, that, that's way better value. But is it, like, if Boston is almost locked into probably being a, what, one of the five best teams in basketball next season? Like, is that really 
that great of a pick. And I, I mean, you would probably know this better than me. So just a quick question, but like, to my knowledge, the 2024 draft is one that teams are apparently not super high on. Is that somewhat accurate to say? That's true. Um, so like, if they get future seconds, that might just be a better asset return. I'm not really gassing up the asset return. I'm just saying like future seconds in this scenario might be better than an immediate protected first that you'd receive. Um, now, the part of it that I think I, I wanted to get back to, you mentioned the trade deadline. Would they have gotten better value if they traded Obi at the trade deadline? Almost certainly, indubitably, one might say. Um, but like you have to put yourself in their position and you have to think how they think, right? At the trade deadline, this was a team, you know, I, I don't remember their exact record, but basically since they had made the rotation changes, this was a good team. I think they were on like a 50-win pace at that point. Like it, it was not some fluky, oh, they're just, you know, like they were a good team. Their metrics were good. And I'm not saying Obi was some critical component to that, but he was in the rotation. He was playing minutes. Like he was getting minutes every night. You know, he's not, what is it, 15, 16 minutes a night, whatever the hell it was. Not a huge role, but it is a steady role, right? And I think if they had just traded him for a pick, that would go against everything we know about them, right? We know that they want to win basketball games. We like, we know they want to be competitive. If you just trade him for a pick, that's basically hurting your rotation. Even if it's minor, that's a hit you take. And if you honestly look at the playoffs, Obi was key in a couple of their victories, you know, especially in the first round against specifically against Cleveland, right? He was really good in game four to the point that he, they didn't close with Randall. They closed with Obi. And he was really good in game five when Randall got hurt. I mean, I thought his stretch at the start of the second half really kind of helped us keep them at bay at a time where it felt like they might make a, a serious run. So he was good in two key moments in the playoffs. And I think there is a value to that that is intrinsic. It's not, I can't put a number on that. I can't pop that in a spreadsheet and tell you what it's worth. You know, it's not going to show up. And when I go to real GM, future drafts detailed, you don't get to see Obi Toppin played really well in two playoff games that were big for the Knicks. Like there's a value to keeping him that is hard to measure. And even if you keep Randall. Yeah, even if you keep Randall. Because, well, no, I'm talking about the decision not to trade him at the deadline last year. Just yeah. that specifically. Like, I think for their purposes and probably what, I mean, what were you going to get? You're talking about probably a late first in this upcoming draft. Maybe that's probably the best thing you could hope for, right? Um, is that really, like, what's the value? What's the, you know, value proposition there? What's the trade-off you're making? It's hard to to really nail that down. And I think that just needs to be considered when you're talking about it. Because given everything we know about how they want to operate, they value the product on the floor in terms of every single season, their focus is how do we win the most games we can win with this current roster? Are there ways to move it forward in the season? They've made three in-season trades. They've made, in, they've made four, technically, if you want to count the Austin Rivers thing. But they've made th like three actual in-season trades each year, right? They traded for Derrick Rose the first year. They traded for Cam Reddish the second year. And then they traded for Josh Hart this past year. And all those moves, at least two of those moves, were 100% geared towards let's try to improve the basketball team, our personnel, our ability to win basketball games on the court this season. The Cam Reddish one is a little bit weird, and that's probably why it didn't work, because it's, you know, it's, it's almost counter to so much of how they've operated. So when you introduce that, it, 
it, it probably leads to what happened where, I mean, look, let's be honest. The Cam Reddish thing was, I don't want to say it, a disaster because disaster. No, it was an L. It was an L. Just yeah, like, an L. They, fucked an L, right? they fucked up. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, I think the OB situation is what it is. You know, they, they, they mismanaged that in terms of, you know, and this is where it's tough is like, realistically, you probably should have traded him earlier. But if you look at like the timelines, right? So first year, Randall come, Randall comes back. He's all NBA. Obi's rookie. He, and if people forget, like he closed that year. Well, he was one of our, he was probably one of the only guys that played well in the fucking playoffs that year. Um, so like, and you just said, you know, he allowed us, you've heard of the garden. So like he closes that year. Well, and what team is honestly going to punt on an eighth overall pick after one season? It's just not a realistic ask. Okay. Next year, Randall has a disastrous season. Disastrous season. Obi closes the season really, really well. Do you want to trade Obi at that point to maximize his asset value just because you have reservations about Randall? Like, like, or sorry, when you have reservations about Randall. I know they didn't trade Randall, obviously, but it's hard to believe that they wouldn't have looked at the season Randall had and been like, look, let's even if you want to bring him back, let's let's keep Obi around because we might need to make a pivot here sooner rather than later. We know this kid. We like his talent. We picked him eighth overall for a reason. Let's let's keep him around because we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen with Randall. Randall comes back. He's awesome last season, right? And like I said, I think trade deadline is probably the optimal time to trade him as an asset. But there are other considerations besides maximizing his. Yeah, asset. and you're saying that. So I think where we, I don't think we disagree. I agree. He was key. Or he was an important part. In I mean, he was a part of the rotation anyway. I'm not going to say key. But yeah, I'm just wondering if I do think this front office prioritizes asset management, and I think the fact that they traded Obi now, unless they are going for a guy like Trenton Watford or something, it gives me belief that I think they they are cool with one of Hart or RJ playing the four as the back in the backup minutes. Um, so if if that's the case now, I don't see why that would have been that much different at the trade deadline because they didn't um, get Divincenzo. Like they didn't like I know they like Deuce, right? But let's be fucking honest. Like Deuce, well, I mean, not... you can just play IQ moments. Yeah, but that's an eight-man rotation, and you're and think about like you're think about there were points in the season where we were seven guys. Yeah. Like, like it's you're thin. Like I think you needed that guy. Um, and if so, Deuce, you think that if they wanted to trade, but I think, I think if Deuce it... shot better, I think if Deuce shot better, they might have pulled the trigger because they would have been more comfortable being like, whatever, we're a little small, but fuck it, like let's do it. I think they would have been more comfortable with that. But I think you because... think they would have gotten a first of the trade up Like you do think... well, you you went yeah. through that part of it as well. So, but the, the return you think would have been the same anyway. Right? Yeah, I think they could have gotten yeah. like that Celtics first from from Indiana, or whatever it was, the 29th pick overall. And like, look, I honestly, I'm not. We can talk about the draft. I know that you were not. We even talked since then, but like. I would have preferred they moved into it. Like, I get why they didn't. I think they're cap reasons and, you know, whatever. But, like, I wish they had had a pick in that draft. So I would have been comfortable with that trade. I would have been okay with it in terms of a value. Like, I think that's fine value. But, you know, the way they managed it, it is what it is. Like, at the end of the day, you can't deny that you take a guy eighth overall, he gets traded three years later for two seconds. Like, it's not great. It's just not great. I mean, that is what it is. So, they deserve criticism for that, and I think Tibbs deserves some criticism for it too. Because in that second season, when Randall was fucking awful and destructive, to be quite honest, he still never gave Obi a legitimate shot. He never 
Dave and he, he cited net rating as the reason he wouldn't play Randall and Obi together. But today, even Ian Begley said that Tibbs liked that Hartenstein Sims lineup when Obi was out. Is and that what he said? Uh, so uh, it's it was posted on the Discord, but um, Begley had a report, and in the report he said, you know, they might go with Hart or RJ Barrett as the backup four. Um, Tibbs also liked the Hartenstein Sims lineups. Which had a negative four net rating and was bad last year. Granted, Hartenstein was injured during that time, or it was not the Hartenstein that we saw at the end of the season. But yeah, like if you're going to try that, why would you have never tried Obi and Rand together? You know, for like an extended period of time. Yeah. Um. So like, I just think, and and it's not just that, right? Like there were points where it's like, just not trying anything with Obi. Like let's fucking throw him at the three for a little bit. Let's just see it. Like. You know, they're they're just there's it's okay to just try shit. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. I mean, Kemba Walker didn't work and we tried that for way too long. Alec Burks at point guard was not the greatest thing. We tried that for a long time. Like we have we tried things that didn't work, so why not try something else? That might not work, but maybe it does. Who knows? I just think there was a lack of give with Tibbs and let's let's call let's call like it what it is. This isn't even necessarily criticism. Because I think like the idea to me that Tibbs doesn't like young guys is kind of it's not the correct framing. If you want to say that in key moments, he'll err on the side of vets over young players, I think that's accurate and I think that's fair. But he trusts Grimes. He trusts quickly. He trusts RJ even though RJ, like his, I think his, his the RJ thing is weird because he was a number three overall pick. I think there's a different question there. But I do think he likes RJ. I think he trusts RJ. He, he fucking loves Mitch. He basically just, every time he talks about it, he's like, Verbally flating him, you know, oh, it's fucking his importance to like our defense and the rebounding. He, I think he's called him the best offensive rebounder in the league multiple times. Well, uh, that's that's not hyperbole. No, it's you know, it's not hyperbole. Good. I mean, I, Adams Adams when he's healthy is probably a little bit better, but um, he's up there, right? And, and it's not, I'm not saying it's hyperbolic. I'm just saying he he clearly values those guys and likes those guys. And even if we want to, and we have obviously uh, more than quibbled with some of his usage of these players. And how he, you know, treats them and gives them minutes. He has consistently given those guys burn, especially Grimes now, with Grimes now this past season, and played them a lot. His eval of Obi Toppin was that he was not good enough. That's it. It's as simple as that. He clearly did not believe that Obi Toppin at the four was good enough for what he wanted to do offensively, defensively, whatever. You can disagree with that. You can agree with it. That and and like again, I'm not really criticizing Tibbs. I'm just saying that's what it is. And um, in in some ways, if you're the front office, you've got to, seriously, I think you should really go back, think about the discussions. They must have had plenty of discussions before that draft, before whatever. And think about, like, like it's. I don't know if, if Tibbs was on board with that pick. I mean, the reporting was that he was, but look at how he's he used him for three years. I, I find it hard to believe that he was super gung-ho about that pick, especially, you know, I think me and you both wanted them to take Vassell at the time. Uh, actually, I think you wanted Kyra, right, more than Vassell? I was pretty split with, like, head saying Vassell, heart saying Kira. But, yeah, yeah, the the tween has he had you. I also uh, didn't know we were going to get quickly, so that yeah. would have changed my head. Right. But, but, like, yeah, I mean, I I think if you if you go back in time, put a gun to Tibbs' head, who, who do you want? I think he would have said Vassell, because that just seems like a guy that is very easy for Tibbs to. Is it? I, don't I know think he so. He likes wings. Like he doesn't use. I mean, he liked Luol Deng a lot, but like 
Like, I think he didn't he give Cam that much but, of a shot. Like, but but Cam wasn't game. actually good on defense. Vassell is actually was at least I don't know how he's been in the NBA. He's defense. not been good in the NBA. Yeah. But he was. I mean, he was like a that was his big thing. It's weird yeah. how he's turned out as like a side. Yeah. Out of college, he was a guy who could shoot with like some like self creation, like pull up potential. But he was mostly like a preternatural processor and, and like with length and everything. And we just, I mean, yeah, I know Prez was really high on him too. Like we thought he was just going to be this super impactful defense guy who could knock down threes um kind of like in the way that um i don't want to say michael bridges but like that kind of player and what he's been is like a guy who's developed some real shot creation ability um with the handle that he's continued to improve and, and the fact that he has that high release but the defense has been it's interesting though because i think when you're on losing teams sometimes defense like anthony davis was thought to be a generational defensive prospect it took him a few years um, until New Orleans started being competitive for him to really figure that out. Even even a guy like, I mean, San Antonio is just weird because... Now I think ha- he will be good on defense. Yeah, they, they've had got, they have a couple of, like, Keldon Johnson's another guy where you're like, he should be good on defense, but he's not been good at all on defense through his career. So, like, it's a weird thing. And it's, you know, like you said, sometimes... Maybe they have a just, shitty coach. Yeah, that's probably what it is. <laughs> and no, and sometimes it's just like, like you said, like if you're on a bad team, sometimes your defense will lag because... That's how it is. And also, like, there's a difference between can you be a cog in a defensive system system versus can you actually move the needle on defense? There aren't a lot of guys that actually move the needle on defense positively. At least um, that aren't bigs, right? Yeah. So, so I mean, anyway. But, yeah, like, the, the OB thing is just, I think in some ways, this, look, there's no way, again, to, to talk about this in any way other than this is uh probably, I mean, this is up there with one of their worst yeah, it's it's on the on the level with the reddish move, the on Fournier the level contract. probably with signing Fournier. Yeah, um, I don't like the people like the Nerlens Noel contract was like to a much lesser degree like a loss. Yeah, I, I don't like the twenty twenty one off season thing, especially like the Fournier contract aside. The other ones to me, I'm just like, I mean, Burks I think was legitimately good. Yeah, signing. Burks was like, good. Tibbs misused them, whatever. But right. that was like he was a good. Burks player. was good, and at the end of the day, like they signed a lot of those contracts because, yeah, they were trying to be good. But they also signed them with the express knowledge that if need be, they could move off of those contracts. So, like, yeah, you can if you want to put that up as some failure, that's fine. It wasn't exactly like did it set back? How, how like did it, are we sitting here like oh my god that set back the organization? No, it's not one like it's not like we signed a, like five Joakim Noah contracts. Okay, like those are contracts that set back your fucking franchise. These contracts are not set back the franchise. They hurt a little bit. They were painful a little bit. They didn't move the needle very much at all, if at all not positively anyway, but they didn't kill us. And so like, I'm not going to put that in anywhere close to the same thing. And quite honestly, like, and and this is where I fall on the Obi thing. Again, they deserve criticism for all kinds of things related to Obi Toppin. Them, Tibbs, all all of them do. Um, But like, when you're judging a front office, to me, you have to judge on aggregate what they do. Like, for example, the best gamblers in the world, they don't win 80% of their bets. They don't win 90% of their bets. They don't win 70% of their bets. If you win 60% of your bets, you are like a fucking great gambler. 56% is the number you generally need to be to, to make that a very And most importantly, that those 44% can't be catastrophic. Right. And, you know, some of the 56%, like, like the expected value of those has to be higher, right? So... None of the moves they've made have really been catastrophic. 
Yeah. Um, and, the and, closest and, they've come to that is how bad the Julius contract started to look last year, but now it looks like they've weathered that storm. We'll see what happens with extension. But Best um, contract in the league, baby. It, no, his teammate has it. I know. Uh, I'm talking about Isaiah Roby, of course. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, it's um, – you know, it, it's, a, it's a. I think it's a good way to look at it. It's you know, like it's hard to, like there's a lot of uncertainty. You're going to take L's, so it's fine they've taken L's. But I think they they do a good job of capping their downside. Like whatever you want to say. Like if you want to say Obi, first of all, Obi wasn't a complete waste. Like he's played a key role to the points you made in some wins and in, into turning this around. That matters. Yeah, he deserves. And like honest, I know it's ridiculous to be like Obi top and change the culture. But no, but he was part. Of a group of Knicks of Knicks teams, forget changing the culture, right? But like, turn this. Let's be quite honest, and this is where I give Tibbs credit too, and I, obviously the front office and everybody really is like, this franchise was a fucking joke three years ago, like a joke. the The perception of the Knicks was they are they are a joke, they are unserious, and even though like yeah, they have a but they're gonna have a bunch of cap space and they have picks and there are some intriguing young players. Nobody was looking at this team or this franchise. And being like, man, what a fucking great opportunity! What a great job! And it was a blank slate with like with right. the, the Marcus Morris pick and you know RJ Barrett and the Dallas picks and, and whatever, Mitch, but, right? Yeah. But it was it was more of a blank. Like in the past, the Knicks were in a situation where they don't have picks and they have all these bad contracts. Like they weren't starting from underwater, right? They were starting by treading water. So it was a better situation than maybe some previous one offices inherited, but they still weren't. You know, there still is a lot to be done, right? It's things that no other front office has done in a long time for the Knicks. Yeah, and, and so like Obi was a part of those teams. He deserves credit for it. Um, I I think it that is just a fact. Um, obviously, he's not the most important guy in that in that thing in, in turning it around, but he deserves credit for it. He's part of it, um, and he gave us some fun moments on the court. And like I know that that sounds really cheesy, but. We are basketball fans. We are supposed to want to enjoy the product we're seeing. And I think, you know, whatever my misgivings about Obi at times, like he did give us fun moments. And 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 look, I, I've been I've really wanted to avoid killing Tibbs for this because I think what you said earlier about like there's kind of a limit, especially if you have fives that are not spacing fives, about what you can get and, and do with Obi. But like I don't remember the exact numbers, but Somebody in our Discord posted this yesterday. Obi Toppin, his rookie season, was used as a role man, something like on 32 possessions or 32 times per 100 possessions. I think it was Dallas who posted this, but yeah. Yeah. Second year, it was like 21.8. And then last year, it was 8.8. Like to me, if I have, if there's a, if, if my criticism of Tibbs in terms of how he used, utilized Obi is very specifically this, I don't think there was any effort and actually a reduced effort as time went on to try to maximize what Obi could give him. Whether you agree or disagree with that, that's simply a fact, a statistical fact. There was less attempts made to let's use the athletic role man guy who was getting Amari Stoudemire comms coming out of college. There was less attempts to use him in that capacity and more attempts into turning him into like Richard Lewis, just be like, yeah, spot up on the perimeter and shoot threes. Like that's, that was the most frustrating part of watching him this year where it was just like, everything was just a, 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 you know, a spot up three, a fucking off a kick out. And, you know, he, he made some strides as a shooter for sure. I mean, he hit that step back against, what was it? Indiana, funny enough, uh, which was awesome. But like, 
that's not his game. That's not what you want him to do. And there was just such a such a little attempt, I think, on Tibbs's part to to move and to really give him an opportunity. And um, you know, like I get that choice, but I don't totally agree with it. And I think the part that really frustrates me about it is it's not so much like is Obi Toppin going to be awesome somewhere else? You know, like whether he is or isn't, let's say he's not. It's not really what matters. I think what the Obi Toppin situation kind of really highlights is Tibbs is Tibbs. He is true to his core. He does not like deviating from that. And I think his rigidity and lack of creativity offensively um, and unwillingness to experiment with different lineups, at least especially at the big, big man spots, I think that really hurt Obi. He saw Obi as a four and just a four. That's it. Nothing else. And his four, other than Julius, they had to be able to knock down shots. And so we really never saw much of an attempt of getting Obi switches in the post that you could feed, right? There was not, and it was actually weird because I thought we started seeing that more at the end of last season. And then this year, just we didn't do it at all. Well, I mean, it's, it's he's because he's kind of a top heavy guy. That's probably never going to be a big part of this game. It, right? it is. It, it isn't. But it's, it's like, it's, it's things thing. that you can do besides have him spot up. And I think, you know, the things that really worked for him, especially as a rookie and last year, like what really was more frustrating was the lack of DHOs, especially when he played with Hardenstein, who, you know, the shooting ended up not being real. But this is a guy who can operate farther away from the rim, who moves well without the ball, who can make some decisions. So I, I actually, that was one thing that I thought would be a lot better was that pairing, Obi and Hardenstein, in terms of these things using OB not just in role but like as a DHO guy you know he likes to fake the the handoff and and drive uh you know we've seen him you know when he has a mismatch on the perimeter on a slower guy you know in and part of it maybe they didn't have a great if they had a guy like Jaron Jackson Jr. right or a guy that you could play next to him or, or KP you know that's that I, I I think that was part of the reason you mentioned Boston is a guy who can protect the rim but also space the floor um, you know, and move without the ball and not be a Mitch, it would have been intriguing to see him try those things. And I think on other teams, they would have gotten him to do it anyway. Um, but um, but I think that the more disappointing thing is like his ability to read and make quick decisions was just never capitalized on. And that's a, this is a team that, for all its talent, lacks some guys like that. Um, and uh, and I think in in Indiana, look, say what you want about Halliburton, maybe his contract is the the biggest, the most money that's been given to a Halliburton since Iraq, but um, you know, like it's, um, it is, um, it's, it's going to be fun. I mean, they are a really good pairing in terms of the, the, the amount of passing surrounded by all the shooters they have. Um, you know, I think Turner can space the floor a little bit, so they'll probably use Obi more in the, the role game. Uh, but yeah, like there's just it seemed like Tibbs just made very little effort to kind of play to Obi's strengths. Um, and we talked about this with Hardenstein, right? Like they used Hardenstein like they would have used Nerlens Noel or Todd Gibson or Mitch, right? For most of the season and he struggled to adapt. And then when he got healthy, he started doing those things. And then Tibbs let him do like some of the more fun stuff for him. Um, and Obi just never got to that point. So, you know, or in Tibbs' eyes. I mean, so. um, it's, 
yeah, it just is what it is. It's not really like a. At this point, it's just. It is what it is. Like I, I don't really know what to say because I've kind of been resigned to this is what was going to happen. In um, I was hoping they get more back. I thought they. Could yeah, I was hoping they'd get like... more back, but honestly, like we're talking about an extra second round pick or two or something like that. Like I get. I was all... hoping they could trade into this draft, and I get like with his cap considerations and all that. And I think they tried. I mean, Begley reported they tried to get back into the late first. I would assume. That was specifically with Indiana, who eventually traded for him anyway and had the initially anyway the twenty sixth and the 29th pick. Like, and I think they had the thirty second or thirty third pick. One, they they had three kind of picks in that same region. So I assume that's who they were targeting. But like, Indiana might have just been like, "We'll just trade for him later. We want to use these assets in a different way." So you know, it's up to the Knicks. And like, hey, we'll give you this late first, but you got to attach a second to Obi like in the deal. I don't know. Is that actually a better deal then? Yeah. I don't know. It's it's hard to say. But my guess um, is Brock Holler would say no. So yeah, I, I would guess that Brock Holler would say no. Fuck you. Um, fuck you. Pay me. Um, but like, all right. Anyway, moving on from Obi, and and I want to say it's like Obi's all. I love Obi. He was a fun player. I wish him nothing but the best. Um, hopefully, he, uh, you know, has a very very productive and healthy career in Indiana and elsewhere where if he does move on from there eventually in time, makes a lot of money and leads the Pacers to no victories at all because fuck the Pacers forever. Um, but yeah, really good dude. I'm happy that he's going to a situation that I think they play a way that should, like you mentioned, like if he's going to thrive and succeed in the NBA, that's probably the situation that makes the most sense, you know? Barring um, playing under Pop and being turned into Doris, Doris Diaw with Pops, that would have been pretty awesome too. But I think yeah, I think he's a is a pretty good uh, situation and good coach. So yeah, I totally agree. Um, all right, let's let's move on to Divincenzo. So Divincenzo signs with the Knicks four years, fifty million. I think the first cap hit uh, the year. Or let me look at this. Spotrac has his cap hit for the first year at eleven point six. Uh, 11.627 million, just under 11.628 million, if you want to call it that. Um, I'll, I'm excited about this signing. I think he's a good player. I think, I think he's about worth this contract. I think, and I think he has a chance to actually blow this contract out of the water. Um, I'm, I'm kind of bullish on him as like a, a guy you're buying that has some sneaky upside given some of the injury stuff he's gone through over the last two years. I thought he looked a lot better um, towards the end of the season in Golden State. I know his playoffs weren't great, but um, again, not a huge sample. And quite honestly, they played two really good teams in the Sacramento Kings and the Los Angeles Lakers, so tough shit sometimes. Uh, but I like him as a player. I think strong rebounding guard, good shooter from the perimeter, and a guy, like, if we're going to be totally honest, not counting Dennis Smith Jr., who, like, you know, had a cup of coffee in New York, is he our most athletic guard since, like, J.R. Smith? Not that the competition there is super high, by the way. Uh, you're muted, Stacey. I, 
vertically, yes. Rose but probably o- was still the most athletic. Overall athleticism, or if we're counting lateral movement, quick twitch ability, Deuce is pretty fucking athletic. Who? I don't think people, Deuce McBride. I don't think people Deuce, Deuce. Credit. Like, it's a different Hughes. kind of athletic. What? I thought you said Hughes, and I was like, please don't ever remind me that Larry, <laughs> Larry Hughes played for the Knicks Also, again. no. no Fucking but, um, Mike D'Antoni's son, who's like, I don't understand why fans are so upset with him. I'm like, because he's fucking awful? And you play him 40 minutes a night? Like, that's why? <laughs> well, I remember um, he was most famous for being the first guy that Allen Iverson couldn't share the backcourt with. and Everyone blamed Iverson, but it's like, nah. <laughs> Iverson was all right. Um, but, um, but the point is, yeah, I, I think athleticism, if you think about it, is more than just, um, like, Deuce's lateral agility is probably close to 99 percentile for guards. Um, combine that with his frame and his strength and, like, pretty decent hops. Um, like, he has a case. But, yeah, I, I think, um, oh, do you even, I guess Shumpert. Shumpert was a pretty good athlete. Do you count him as a guard? Yeah, I mean, I count Shumpert and, and J.R. Smith as guards. I still think DiVincenzo is... I don't know. I mean, Shumpert is so weird because he'd have these random moments where he looked explosive, but he never felt like... especially he wasn't after very the, quick. Yeah, and after the knee, after the ACL, I feel like he lost some of that eye-popping athleticism he had at one point. I mean, this is a guy who his rookie season, I remember watching him like mirror fucking Derrick Rose, legitimately, like which was crazy to watch, and he just didn't have that after that. But, um, yeah, I mean, look, either way, he's He's at least our most athletic guard in terms of vertical pop since those guys, right? JR and Shumpert specifically. So I think he adds something to the team that we don't have. I really like his ability to g- grab rebounds and go. Like he's not, he's not a great ball handler, but he's a good ball handler in those situations, right? Where you can like get the ball like off the, off the rebound and then just fucking go in open court. He can do that. He's not been a great finisher. Um, I have Prez looking into that to see if there's some, uh, if there's some stuff that you can fix there, because I do think like for a guy as athletic as he is, he should be a better finisher. But I mean, uh, to, to, to the point of the guy you just mentioned, Dennis Smith, it doesn't always work that way, right? There's yeah. other factors yeah. involved. And he, he does have short arms, right? That's an advantage for a guy like quickly. who's not the most vertical guy, but he's able to use those sneaky angles. DiVincenzo struggles a lot with that. Um, he does have really good touch though. So maybe, you know, with the Knicks, like, you know, Golden State wasn't a team, I think, that emphasized, the, like, no one really shoots floaters on Golden State besides stuff. So I wonder if that's part of his game that maybe you can unlock. You know, he took 13% of his shots from 3 to 10 feet, but he hit um, 56% of them. That's really good on floaters. You wonder if you can kind of, especially with, again, how Brunson and quickly play, the Knicks seem to really believe that's a, it's an efficient shot. Maybe trading in Wait, some do, of the tougher shot 56% on He shot 56% of floaters? From three, no, not floaters. From three to ten feet, I would oh, imagine right, right, a lot of those yeah. are floaters. Their floater stat, I think, is like something I don't have access to. So yeah, it's on thirteen people. People on Thirteen percent of his shots were between three and ten feet, and um, so and he shot fifty-six percent. So I think that's interesting because a lot of people talked about he has a very—I don't want to say a Mori ball shot profile, but he gets to the paint. Or he takes threes, right? There aren't a whole lot of these. Yeah, he does nothing like, else. <laughs> between ten and it's an extreme, actually. Yeah. Between ten and between ten feet and three point line, he had about that was four and a half percent of his shots. He yeah. does not take shots there. Um, but Even for his career, he's like seven percent of his shots come from 
10 feet yeah. to the three-point line. So it's, this is not just the Warriors being, you know, analytic Warriors. But, yeah, I think the floater is a real thing. Um, like, he took the most, the highest percent of his shots from floater range last year, and he hit 56%. For his career, he's much lower. He's 38%. But it doesn't seem out of, like, he has good touch. And it seems like a shot that if he can trade away some of those rim attempts that are really tough over tough guys for it. And, like, this is something the Knicks emphasize. That's another maybe hidden area of upside as well. Yeah, I mean, I, and I just think this, I'm going to, Pull this up. I'm gonna. I know this is your your favorite website. Um, our, and our, our selectively our favorite, Yeah, uh, our DPM. Uh, our our select. When we selectively like to use uh, DPM to push our own agendas. Um, hold on. Let me do this. But this is a guy who I think just has some like maybe some sneaky upside. You know, like I'm gonna pull him up against uh, another guy I've always liked and advocated in training for. Uh, D'Anthony Melton, all right? And give me a second. I have to do the thing where I share my screen with everybody if I can figure out where to do this. Okay. Uh, I'll share this. And here we are. Okay. This is D'Anthony Melton. Um, you know, Look at that. I mean, that's just, this is for games played. So, DiVincenzo, if you kind of look at it, it makes sense too. He kind of flattened out here, but this is where he had his injury, right? So, he comes back from his injury, then he trends up here. Um, if you look at age, Tim and Melton, kind of similar trajectories, funny enough. Um, and then this is seasons. So, look, I'm not saying the guy is going to be some fucking world beater, but uh, to me, he strikes me as somebody who just maybe has a little bit more upside than than meets the eye. And again, like, so he hurts, uh, he, he fucks up a ligament in his foot uh, at the end of the 2020-2021 regular season, the year that the Bucks won the championship. Doesn't come back until midway through the next season. Clearly isn't right. Gets traded to Sacramento. Literally, I think he played 25 games there, maybe. Um, maybe he was even last 17, one of those two. It was either 25 or 17. I don't remember which one is which. but. Um, then he goes to Golden State last year and turns it around, right? Like it's a year removed now from his injury. He looks better athletically. I think, I think this is a guy that if you, if if I were to guess, I would venture to guess that the front office thinks there's they're catching him as he's about to take another step in his career. Um, not saying they're the same player. They're not the same player. They're not even similar necessarily archetypes of players. But I wonder if they think this is like a Derek White type of player where you can catch him in that in those prime years, get him locked in on a contract, and a year from now you're like, holy shit, this guy's on a fucking great deal. He's locked in for the next three years too. This is awesome. Um and again, like he's literally locked he's locked in through his prime now. He's age twenty six to twenty nine. He's gonna be under contract with the Knicks potentially. Obviously he could get traded. But um, I think, I think this is a good move. And, and I, and I also, one thing I, I mentioned, uh, on the Friday pod, which I find pretty interesting anyway, he is a guy who has played his entire career in the NBA playing on teams that push the tempo all, every single one, Milwaukee, Sacramento, Golden State, all those teams love to push tempo and he's played on them. Um, I like 
I like the idea of him playing off the bench with Quickly and Josh Hart. I think that's like, and Hartenstein. Like, I think that that can be a really fun group in a way that's different from how Obi was fun with that group. Um, and to your point about like, oh, Obi, you thought there was going to be more with him and Hartenstein. Again, I, I don't, I don't really want to, I'm not going to do the whole like debate Tibbs thing, but like the way Tibbs coaches and how we run our offense, I would guess that a guy like, DiVincenzo or perimeter guy like DiVincenzo has a better working chemistry with Hartenstein than a guy like Obi who really you wanted to get moving cutting towards the basket which I think is different and and honestly wasn't really encouraged in our offense right like Tibbs wants the off-ball guys most of the time to space off the floor and find space behind the three-point line um, I think DiVincenzo will be better at that and obviously he's a better shooter than Obi so uh, I'm really I, I like this move, man. I, I'm not going to lie. I think it's a he's a fun player. I think the Garden is really going to like him. I think Knicks fans will really like him. Unless you go into this being like, fuck this guy. I can't believe this is our big move this summer. Um, but, like, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. I think he's a good player. I think he's a fun player. Fuck him forever for destroying Michigan in the national championship game. Um, but, and I mean, qu- and honestly, that I... That kind of he had multiple thirty point games in college despite yeah. coming off the bench. I think and those kind of things do matter to this front office. Yeah, and I and I think he's played in a lot of big games in his career. You know, he's played in playoff games. He's played obviously in championship games in college. He's played well on on that stage in college at least. I don't know. I honestly don't know if he played well in the playoffs with Milwaukee while he was there. Um, uh, so I didn't. So one thing I did want to ask is. What do you think led to kind of the decline in production? Because everyone, we've seen this tweet, five points per game in the playoffs, right? Um, do you think it was just decreased minutes? Um, frankly, when I watched Golden State, I just didn't notice him as much. Um, I, it was, which is in some ways a good thing because I did notice George Poole a lot, not in a good way. Um, but what do you what do you attribute that to? Is is there any concern there based on you know the playoffs weren't um, you know were obviously come down for the regular season for him? Uh, I would be lying if I said I watched it all of the Golden State playoff run or anything. But, I mean, to my knowledge, like one of my buddies, he's a Golden State fan, so I asked him about it. I think they needed him to be more than he is. So, like, what he was saying is he's really, like, he he's really good as, like, a seventh, eighth, ninth guy in your rotation. But there were too many nights, too many games, where Golden State needed him to be, like, their fourth best guy, their fifth best guy. And I think that probably is a lot more doable in the regular season and not so much in the playoffs. So I think well, is that a that, problem then if we give 12% of the cap or sorry, 10% of the cap, whatever it is, it's lower than that, way lower than that. What's the cap? 124 now? 124. No, it's fucking what? 156. Okay. I think. Um, so you're, let me check. Go ahead. Um, I mean, is, is 12 million, no, what they're paying him. Sorry, it's one thirty six, but then the tax line is one sixty five. Okay. So if you're paying him, so somewhere based on what you how you want to debate that, right? Somewhere between seven percent of the cap and like nine, right? Um, is that too much to pay for the seventh or eighth guy in your rotation? Some have said that it is. So, um, no, it's eight point five five percent of um. To, to the cap. Of that 136? So, of that 136? Yeah, it's 8.55%. Yeah. Spotrack has the percentages listed now of contracts, by the way. Um, 
I don't think that's too much. I think that's exactly what you want. If you just think about it mathematically, right? Like your 11th to 15th guys are going to be most of the time minimum dudes, rookie scale guys. What percentage of the cap are they? Something like something from like three, four percent to half a percent of the cap. Your seventh, eighth, ninth, like your six, seven, eight, nine guys theoretically are going to be, you know, somewhere between that eight and a half percent to let's call it 15. And then your starters, especially your number one, two, three guys, like if we just look at this, Julius, right, this year, he is 20.75% of the cap. Brunson, obviously, we know this is a value contract, 19.37% of the cap. And RJ Barrett, 17.56% of the cap. Like, I have no problem with this contract at all. I think it's totally fine. And, um, yeah, like, I, we'll talk, I mean, we can talk about the minutes thing right now because that's, I've seen a lot of people uh, complaining about this. And I, I want to bring up this comment. I know we said we're going to do comments. We haven't gotten that many comments, so it's easy to do. Uh, this one is from Hawkeye420. Uh, I saw, I keep, I keep seeing people say one of RJ IQ, both will be gone now with DDB, not DDB, Vincenzo. Is there no way a nine, 10 man rotation works with the current roster? Is Tibbs lack of creativity going to force that trade? I don't really understand. I, I'm with him. Like, I don't really understand this logic. And I want to say, like, if you think, first of all, if the front office views IQ as expendable, not because they want to upgrade at a different position or whatever the hell it is, but purely because they have DiVincenzo now, that's a really big fuck up in terms of player eval, talent eval. Like Emmanuel quickly can be a primary ball handler. Not saying he's the best one in the fucking world, but he's obviously very capable of that coming off the bench at least. And he gives you lineup flexibility and he gives you a fail safe. If Brunson is out with an injury, as we saw last year, multiple times. If you trade quickly, let's. I have seen some people talk about, uh, you know, trade use quickly with Fournier's contract and whatever, Hartenstein, whatever it is. But you know, quickly as the main attractive young player going out in a trade for like Zach Levine or Paul George or uh, OG Ananobi, and I just don't really understand that because at that point, what you're saying is we were we're going to have Deuce be our backup point guard or Dante Divincenzo. And, like, I like, I mean, look, I, I think RJ is going to have a better season next year than he did this past season. I think he builds off of his much better playoff run. Um, but, like, I'm not comfortable being like, oh, it's fine. We can trade quickly because RJ can run the offense. We've seen the offense run through RJ at times now for two, three years with those bench groups. And it's not great. It's not great. And that's with quickly in the mix. I don't think he's capable of just like running your offense like that. I think that's a really big mistake if you do that. And I don't think Dante DiVincenzo can do that. I don't think Deuce... I mean, maybe Deuce can do it, but you can't bet on that. He hasn't shown it yet in the NBA. He hasn't done it. He's like... I'm not even... I'm not knocking him, but he's not shown that he can handle the ball at that level. Get into the paint consistently. Run an offense. Create offense for himself and for others. He hasn't demonstrated that at all. Um... So to me, I don't really get that. And and like even the RJ thing, like I think it makes sense if you want to say use RJ to get one of those guys. I don't particularly like I, I wouldn't trade him for Levine or, or OG Ananobi, but I'm I would understand at least the logic of like, okay, we perceive this wing player to be better than RJ, so therefore use him as the main outgoing piece. 
But he's not expendable now because you got fucking Dante DiVincenzo. That is irrelevant to whether you would or wouldn't trade him. And honestly, in some ways, similar to IQ. Like, if you think you can get... Like, I would disagree with it, right? But if your logic is Paul George is just better, Zach Levine is just better, and, you know, these those two specifically, and if we acquire them, we won't need a traditional backup point guard because when Brunson's off the floor, one of those guys will be on and we can run the offense for them and that'll be fine. If that's your logic for it, fine, go ahead. But your logic should not be like we have Dante DiVincenzo now. Let's move IQ. Let's move RJ. That fucking makes no sense. And I don't, and I, I know we will, I'll give you the chance to respond here in a second, but like the people that are like, how are we going to distribute the minutes? Can you shut the fuck up? Like, it's nine guys we're talking about in rotation. Guess how many guys were in rotation last year? Nine. And if you're going to be like, well, Obi barely played. Okay, Obi barely played. I agree with that. But, like, nine guys in rotation nine times? Um, <laughs> but, like, nine nine guys in rotation, like, we're not asking Tibbs to manage some, like, oh, my God, like, how can he do this? That's a fucking normal rotation. And guess what's going to happen? We're going to have a stretch in the season where Jalen Brunson misses five games, where R.J. Barrett misses six games, where Dante DiVincenzo misses a couple of games, where quickly misses a game here or there. Like, you're going to need the depth. You need depth to get through an NBA regular season. And quite frankly, you need good depth to win a fucking championship and to to be competitive into late rounds of the playoffs. Like, look at... I remember after the playoffs reading this stuff, like when Boston lost to, to Miami. I saw Boston fans bitching about their depth, and I'm like, damn, I thought... You guys are a pretty fucking deep team, but they're bitching about their depth. Like, depth matters. You need these guys. And and quite honestly, you need competition internally as well. It can't just be like, oh, like you don't want guys being complacent. You don't want guys feeling like they're just walking into 25, 26, 27, 28 minutes. No, you want them to earn it. And I think the Knicks have, have benefited from that type of internal competition. I'm not saying it's acrimonious, but I think these guys fundamentally understand, like, you got to fight for your minutes, especially in those guard and wing spots. You got to you know? fight for your right to party. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, honestly, like even Derek Rose, he had a quote last year during training camp where he was like, they're asking him, I think he was like, you know, he's kind of easing himself back in. They asked him something about like how he's taking it. And he's like, he's like, look, like, I'm not going to lie. There are times Tibbs has me like sitting out because he wants to be careful with me. But like, he's like, I, I can see like these young guys, they're, they're, they want my minutes. Like they, like Deuce McBride isn't just sitting there like happy to not play, you know. These guys want to play, and I think that internal competition is important um, for us as a team, especially because we don't have like if you want to call Brunson a superstar, that's fine. But like we don't have one of these, we don't have a fucking MVP caliber guy on the team. So our strength as a team, as a roster, as a whatever, is that depth, is that quality depth. It's that when you go to your seventh, eighth, ninth guys. There's not a huge drop off, um, and and you can make the argument that yeah, given yeah, like positional designation aside, isn't Dante Divincenzo a better player right now than Obi Toppin? I'm not saying the situation like like I think if you want to make the argument, not that much older either. Probably. Yeah, he's a year older. Yeah. yeah, he's a year older. But if you want to make the argument that like Obi Toppin's impact has been suppressed by Tibbs and the environment, I think that's a totally fair argument. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to shit on Obi at all the way up. Like I, I love the guy. I'm never gonna not root for him. Um, but I'm just saying, like right now, today, DiVincenzo is a better player. 
Yeah, I don't think that's unfair to say at all. I mean, he look, he's a 39% three-point shooter at 26. Um, there's reason to believe that's going to improve. He's 36% for his career, good free-throw shooter. Um, you know, as far as spotting up, he can take that over. Obi was not exactly the world's greatest rebounder. DiVincenzo might actually be certainly better for his position. Um, and uh, and he moves the ball in a way similar to, to Obi, and it's a more natural fit. In terms of IQ, um, so I do agree that um, – I think it's interesting to point out they need depth. There's times when they're going to rest guys because they have that depth, and that'll boost everyone's minutes even more than, like, some spreadsheet might tell you. Uh, but the fact of the matter is this, like, what, the difference between IQ and DiVincenzo may be that IQ is a better on-ball guard, and you need him for that role. <coughs> but, you know, part of what's worked with this IQ thing is that he can do both. He can play next to Brunson, and he can back them up. That's how you get him to 25 minutes consistently, right? Um, he, now he loses a lot of those minutes because DiVincenzo is going to play as, a, as the some minutes as a backup shooting guard. Um, he's already going to be losing minutes to Grimes. Um, Hart should really not probably be playing the two at all this year. There's enough minutes of the three and four for him to, to do that. But that's another thing, plus RJ. So at that point, you know, where are the minutes going to come from when everyone is healthy? And, and maybe that maybe the answer to that is DiVincenzo is signed as a depth piece. A depth piece. And, um, you know, if he's 7 8% of the cap, he can, you know, it's fine to give him only 15 minutes a game. He averaged, I should mention, on a on a contending team last year, 26 minutes. So that might not be as easy. But they weren't really a contending team last, and they had such a fucking weird season, man. With like, they, I I mean, I get what you're saying, but it's not it's not Josh Hart getting 27 minutes on the Blazers, right? I think it's, it's maybe Steven Chenzo getting 26 minutes yeah. on a team, by the way, whose best player is a guard, and who also had another highly paid young guard next to him, right? And he still carved out 26 minutes. Yeah, Poole is shitting himself for large parts of the year, but this is not somebody who doesn't um, who's going who's gonna to struggle like that. So, um, I, you know, but, but I also to your point, I would say if IQ is that much clearly better than DiVincenzo, and I'm not sure he will be at everything, by the way. DiVincenzo might be a more reliable catch-and-shoot guy than IQ right now. I think IQ's he is. Better, yeah, IQ is a better pull-up shooter, better creator. Um, even Chenzo's a pretty good passer. IQ's probably can get to more stuff because I think, of the I handle, think he's but... IQ's better at bending a defense himself. DiVincenzo is very good once the defense is bent and you get him the ball on the move. Sometimes you just gotta bend the D. So um, you know, it's very it's very much um and I think they actually could be really good together. Um but where like if quickly isn't a contract year, if you're already hearing whispers he wants a hundred mil how do you get him to 25-plus minutes unless Brunson is going to take a lot of load management days? Like, I think it's – I get what you're saying, and I think Nick's fan – ultimately, to me, it's like we signed a good player on a good contract. If we are so scared of our coach that he can't manage it, which I think is probably a little bit overblown, even by us who tend to be skeptical of him on that regard, there's something wrong there. So I'm happy we signed DiVincenzo, but to act like it won't – like there isn't – like some juggling to be done or it won't impact quickly. And that's not kind of an, something to monitor or a situation to monitor that the front office, if they really are invested in quickly being here, needs to be doing that kind of, I'm not going to call it damage control, but working on that. Then um, like that also, like it, of course it matters, you know? 
I mean, it definitely matters. And I don't think it's just quickly. Like, I think Grimes probably impacted by it a bit, too. Uh, maybe RJ. Josh Hart, like you said, he shouldn't play any minutes of the two this year. He should probably just be a three, four. Um, I think that stuff is all fair. What I'll say is, if if they pay quickly, and I don't, I'm, look, the whispers of like, oh, he wants to extend. I mean, one, the rumor was like from another team executive, which means absolutely nothing. They have reasons to say that shit for obvious reasons. Like, uh, there are obvious reasons why another team's executive might leak that Emmanuel quickly should get nine figures on a on a four-year contract, by the way. Um, maybe he should. I think, like, my guess is they do value quickly, even if ultimately they feel like he's probably an outgoing piece in a trade down the line. They also know that you don't he think helps. he's an introverted piece. Of trade. <laughs> um, but he, he, they know that he helps them win basketball games, which again is important to them. Like they want to win ball games. They are not trying to. They're not going to trade quickly for fucking picks, right? Like that's never going to be the trade quickly for picks. Like that's not going to happen. Um, if it was going to happen, they obviously shopped around a little bit last year at the start of the season, and you know even Katz in his last piece that he wrote, he he said like, look, they they talked about quickly as a piece potentially going out in a trade for an in-prime star, I think is how he put it. He said those talks didn't advance much further, and he also said the tenor of their conversations have changed drastically from what they were at the start of last season, or when they were kind of maybe exploring quickly's trade market a little bit. So I don't think they're like never going to trade him, but I also think they value him. And, you know, there's a middle ground there. If he And he's going to negotiate too, right? What's he going to say? He's going to leak out there. Emmanuel quickly doesn't think he deserves more than 15 million a year. Like, no, he's not going to fucking put that out there. Why would you do that? That makes no sense. He's going to put out there like, I want four years, a hundred million at least. That's how you negotiate, right? If it is a leak coming from his camp anyway, to my knowledge, we haven't heard any. I don't think that was a leak from his camp. I don't think we've seen a leak from his camp yet. Really not this season anyway. Um, or this off season, whatever you want to call it. I think they'll pay him because I think they value what he does. I think he's going to be a key piece of their team this year. And one day people will appreciate the flexibility that he gives you that not a lot of guys give you. Uh, maybe it'll be the day that he's no longer a Nick. Hopefully that doesn't come, but maybe it'll be that day. But there are not a lot of guards in the NBA that can be effective as the primary and playing next to a primary and doing all kinds of different tasks and roles for the team and being a plus defender at his size. Like, he does things that just add value constantly in any role he's in. And um, I would imagine they value that. And I think that's a reason probably why they value a guy like DiVincenzo, who, yeah, he's smaller, he's 6'4", I think he only has a 6'6 wingspan, but he plays bigger than his size. Just like Josh Hart plays bigger than his size, just like Quickly plays bigger than his size. They, I think they appreciate dudes for the impact they have, not their physical measurements entirely, you know? Um, I think that's a reason why they probably like Deuce. I mean, they've said multiple times that Deuce it's not the size is, of the boat; it's the motion of the ocean. Correct. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, yeah, I, I would just say that is what it is. So, um, yeah, I, I think they will keep him. I think they will extend him, and I also am not concerned about his minutes because if he's as good as I think he is, as you think he is. He's going to earn those minutes, and it'll come at somebody's expense. I don't know whose, 
but it's going to come. And also injuries are going to be part of this equation too. Like again, he got to 28.9 minutes per game last season, not because he was like getting that every single night, but because there were injuries on nights. And so when there were injuries quickly is the one that stepped up. He was the one that got more minutes. He's the one that started. Um, so I think that's something to consider as well. Yeah. I mean, I, the, again, so they'll have to pay him. That's, I think that's where if they can extend him this off season, if he says that, you know, it's, it's been tough to predict, right? You see some guys getting deals. Like you see like Bruce Brown getting paid. You see other guys, guys not getting paid. If quickly feels like I can lock in four for 80 and the front office says, you know, however many guards we have, we want to keep this guy. Um, and it'll be a good contract. Then, yeah, if we go into the season without quickly being extended, or if they don't come to an extension agreement, I don't see how that's tenable because, um, you know, one, I don't, I don't know that. Well, Brunson might get hurt, so in those games he'll get thirty minutes. That's not good enough for a guy playing for his next contract. It wouldn't be good enough for me um, if I thought I was capable of, of really proving my worth in a, in a much bigger way, right? Um, so I think that. Um, I think that if they are, if, if you think an extension is going to happen, you're confident in that. Um, and I think that, um, and I think it's fair to say that, you know, DiVincenzo is not a replacement for quickly. You can't man the offense. Fine. How hard is it to find a 15 to 20 minute? It wouldn't even be that because they're going to play Brunson a lot. How hard is it to find a 15 minute per game backup point guard that can run the offense? Can they give you everything quickly? Can no, but it'd probably be a lot cheaper. Um, so in that sense, like I don't. When people say Divincenzo gives them some flexibility, I don't think they mean that he's as good as quickly or is that he's a replacement. But I do think they mean that at least one of the things quickly gives you, which is a guy who could play next to Brunson and be a connector. He gives you a lot of things. So one of his roles when he plays with Brunson is a connecting secondary creator who can d up right. DiVincenzo brings a lot of that. So what's the other part of it is a, an on-ball guy with a lot of upside who can take over when Brunson is out. When your best offensive player is out, he can make sure that you can go into Boston and win. That is a big deal. But just the backup point guard part of that, it's probably, you know, that that cost isn't back-breaking. The same way that if you say Obi's really important as a backup forward, you can find ways around that. Probably not as easily as to your point, like, Deuce probably you can't rely on to run the offense. But, you know, they, they, they do have, it is worth mentioning, they have Rokosukubaitis in Europe. Um, you know, like he has played really well. He's polished. Has he done it in the NBA? No. Um, there are, you know, guys they can, I mean, this offseason is not going to make my point because Reggie Jackson and Dennis Schroeder probably got bigger deals than we would like to give for a guy of that caliber. But the point is you can usually find a guy. If that's the only thing you're concerned about, someone running the bench offense, you know, you can find guys like that usually for cheap or for, for a reasonable price. I mean, you can. I'm not denying that. But so what are you trading quickly for, though? Like, I don't understand what the fucking, like, what is this? Well, so I, and that's why it usually comes, like, the idea that quickly and RJ are both going to be here, I think, that's probably why there were so many, like, I hated the fact that weirdly everyone who's pro RJ seemed to hate quickly and vice versa. For the, the regular season. But part of it now, as you're seeing, is that, like, I don't think both, like, one of them is probably, maybe it's a Paul George trade. Maybe it's a. Right, but if you're trading for Paul George, why would you, like, just look at it? And, like, I, this is what I will never. You trade RJ, but you, you'd say it would. Well, if, RJ if is I more want, likely. 
Yeah. Well, if I want Paul George, let me just think about it logically. What what do I why do I want Paul George? Because I want to upgrade He's a on the wing. wing. Yeah. So then you trade your wing, who also allows you to match salary more better, right? More better. Probably. And also, like, uh. if I trade for Paul George, if I trade for Paul George, you're not benching RJ, right? So Grimes moves to the bench, which I think is stupid. But anyway, Grimes moves to the bench, which is understandable if you get Paul George. But then I'm I'm using like, RJ as my fourth option now. That's fucking. That makes no sense. He doesn't play like a fourth option. If he's going to be a highly successful, high impact player in the league, I promise you, it's not going to be doing what Grimes did this past season. That's no, not. Well, not all fourth options have to. A fourth option can be in the mold of a guy like Bruce Brown. Maybe it allows you to use him more as a cutter, right? Because you have all of these threats. Look the at players. our coach, Stacey. That's well. That's a different issue, though, right? I'm and not, honestly, I'm I don't. RJ and Paul George. When has RJ ever in his career? In his career. I'm saying going back to college, high school, whatever. When has he ever played it like that? Like, this is a guy... I think he was a pretty good cutter. Like, okay, he was, was a pretty good cutter. He was also on the ball fucking 75 times a game. Yeah, he was, but he also... When he wasn't on the ball, they had another ball-dominant player who was a good passer. And, like, I thought RJ actually played pretty well that outside. That, but that's not a fourth option. He wasn't the fourth option. He still got... What was his usage at Duke? Probably higher something? than Zion's, yeah. Yeah, it was fucking... Like, he, he's a high-usage player. He's been a high-usage player forever. That's his... That's what he's. But he hasn't been efficient in that role. So if you kind of, if you do lower his usage, maybe that's the way to get him to being a more efficient player. Anyway, I don't think the contracts would work out. Anyway, if you have RJ Randall, and I just, I, I don't think he's going to be good. Like his path to being the player you want, like he's not going to accept being a fourth option in New York. I promise you that. Like he might just be a good soldier for a little bit, and and go with it. But he's not going to be happy. Well, I think he, ideally he's a third option on a good team. I don't right. think he's the first option on a like that's right. His I'm, role right now is what you're trying to build him in. Like you're trying to develop him and get him to the point where he's a quality third option. We saw signs of that in the playoffs. We've seen signs of it through his career that may, it, it's he has stretches where he is that guy. Just hasn't put it together for a full season, obviously. But like if you're all of a sudden being like be the fourth option, I mean, do you remember when he was like the fourth option? for a little bit when we had Kemba and Fournier and Randall, he was not good and he wasn't happy, obviously. I'm not saying he was like crying about it publicly or something, but you could tell it was like obviously not easy for him and he wasn't enjoying it. You can see all the times when he sets up on the wings and he doesn't get the ball. Like you, There's a body... It, Obi showed that. I mean, every player has though. I'm not yeah. saying RJ is a bad body language guy by any means. I mean, quite the opposite. But you can see the, fr- the very justified frustration, right, when he doesn't get the ball even when he's playing in that off-ball role which is less than ideal for him. So. Right, and so like I just to me it's like the the entire notion of like well we should trade if you want to trade quickly fine so be it I, I don't I'm not gonna even like I think anybody on this roster is up to be traded other than Jalen Brunson. What about Levine? Wouldn't IQ make more sense in a trade for Levine than RJ? Why he's Levine? Well, because Levine Levine's isn't really going a to come in shooting guard, right? But Levine's gonna come in and be. 26, 27, 28 usage guy minimum. The fourth option. And and also, I'll say this. At least for Paul George, at least with Paul George, if you said we're going to trade IQ out for Paul George, I know for sure Paul George in his career at various points has been able to have the offense run through him, directed an offense for stretches anyway. I'm not saying for like 48 minutes a night, but for stretches and have that be an effective thing that happens. Zach Levine, go look at his numbers when he's like the guy running the show. It's not good. It's not good. Like, it's just, that's not a thing that he's great at. Uh, Throughout his career, that's not been a thing he's great at. And so, like, if you're getting Levine and quickly goes out, I mean, shit, at least with Paul George, I know that if he comes in, my defense will be, you know, it might not be as good as it would be, obviously, with 
Paul George and Grimes next to each other. But Paul George with anybody is going to be an okay defensive pairing. If I put Paul George, or if, sorry, if I put Levine, my if my starting lineup is Brunson, Levine, RJ, Randall, God help four us. Four subpar defenders. I mean, God, I do think RJ has more potential, but yeah, like we haven't at the, at this moment, he's not a plus defender. And that's putting it behind it. So. Yeah, and so I just think. Sorry, my my dog is like staring at me. He like wants me to give him attention, but he can handle it for a little bit. Um, but like he, I just I don't really understand that. And like I I don't want to turn this into like a don't trade quickly at all cost thing because it's not that. Like I'm just talking like the the players that we're talking about to me, it doesn't make sense to include quickly and trade for those guys. If you were talking about like and and even with like Dang, I was, right. I mean not even that, but like at least. If you included him in a Paul George trade, I would disagree with that. But I can at least like wrap my head around that one. I can be like, okay, I get it, fine, whatever. But Levine, no, I don't get that. Um, and then like, yeah, like just trade him for picks. And like, people are just so fucking mortified of paying good players. And it's like, I, I think people see the number and they're like, oh my god, how could we pay him that? And it's like, you know, like I literally said, let's say they gave him exactly what RJ Barrett got, four years, hundred and seven million. That's seventeen percent of the cap. And it's going to be going down for the rest of the the duration of the contract, probably. Like, I, I don't know what to tell you. Like, this, this, these are numbers. Don't look at the fucking raw number. Look at the percentages. And this is kind of why, like, I know that the whole... And we should talk about the Dame thing, because that's hilarious. But, like, Dame obviously requested trade, and I saw a bunch of people like, oh, my God, I can't believe he requested it now. They committed this money to fucking Jeremy Grant. This is a disaster. It's like, first of all, they probably would want Somebody who can, like, so ostensibly shoot, create, whatever. They probably want a wing that is functional and good next to, like, Scoot and Simons, potentially, if, he, if he's sticking around. Like, I don't think that's a big deal. And also, like, five years, $160 million, the length of the contract might be a little concerning. But, like, I don't think it's going to be hard to move five years, $160 million. <coughs> I think that's like a pretty okay contract to move. There will be teams that are like, yeah, we'll take that. The Clippers will fucking do it. Any team, like there are teams that will just do it. They'll be like, okay, yeah, that's not a huge contract. We'll take him on. Like I don't know. I, I just, to me, the contract stuff. People got to start really looking at percentages. Like, you know, Mitchell Robinson, right? Oh my God, fifteen million a year for a center who can't fucking blah blah blah. Twelve percent of the cap. Right? It's less. It's eleven point five percent of the cap. This is like nothing. These are nothing. Like these are these these are infinitesimal amounts. Um, like I, I just can't get there. And and then like you know, oh well, we can't pay quickly because we're going to pay Grimes a year from then. Like, so you can deal with these things piecemeal. You don't need to like, well, I have to pay Grimes one day, so I can't pay quickly today. That's just asinine logic. Like, first of all, quickly, if you extended him today, that doesn't hit your cap until a year from now. If Grimes, we don't, he's not going to get. He's not going to be off his rookie scale contract for two years. Why are we crying about this stuff? RJ's rookie, his contract doesn't kick in until next season. It's fine. Like they're in fine shape. Like if you think this Knicks con like cap situation is fucked, you're just a fucking buffoon, man. Like relax. And then the, like I've some, I've seen people be like, "Well, you have to pay quickly. Let's use them to get OG and Obi." What the fuck does that mean? You do you understand that OG and Obi has to get paid in a year? Like he's also getting paid for here, and I'll I'll bet I will bet I will bet money I will bet so much money OG and Obi 
will get paid way more than Emmanuel quickly does. I'm positive about that. Wings get paid more than $20 million a year. If Jeremy Grant got fucking five years, 160, I think OG Ananobi is getting more. Well, OG doesn't offer you as much as a creator or as a shooter. He's a way better defender on another fucking planet defensively to to Jeremy Grant. Like, that, it's not even a question. Uh, And I don't love, like, you know this, I don't fucking love OG, but there's no question who's a better player to me. Yeah, I mean, Jeremy Grant can shoot and play the four or five. Like, there is some, like, even if he's not an overall better defender than OG, there's a lot of value in that kind of versatility. That's, I guess, my counter to that. But I could see OG getting a, a contract in that neighborhood. To what? To Jeremy Grant? Yeah, I could see that. I'd be shocked if he doesn't, to be honest. The way the league is going and, you know, just how many, like, he's going to be 26 or 27 when he hits the open market. A wing, his size. If he just plays like sixty games this year, he's going to get a fucking big bag. He's going to get paid. Somebody's going to pay him. Um, it's just inevitable. Wings get paid. I mean, I, honestly, I was even looking at this the other day because I've been like looking at this Levine contract, right? As a guy that maybe the Knicks. I mean, we know the Knicks at least kicked the tires on it. Even his contract at those cap hits, it's like twenty seven, twenty eight percent of the cap. It's not like. You know, and it comes down each year. I think by the final year, it's like 26% of the cap or something like that. So some of these contracts, they're just not what you think they are on the surface because we're still like conditioned to view it through the lens of a lower cap. Um, but yeah, I, I look, going back to just the quickly and even chance, I, I just, I don't think this is a roster crunch. I'll put it that way. Like, and and we haven't even talked about this part of it. I've real and I think Popper had this today too. Katz was the first one to say it. I think even Begley might have mentioned it. Is Tibbs is comfortable or he likes, you know, the the RJ and Hart potentially like he he's okay with that as the backup four situation. And like there are people like, well, how like how can we do that? You're talking about 13 minutes a night. We can't we can't play one of those guys or both those guys or split up the backup four minutes between those two for 13 minutes a night, really, in the fucking NBA in 2023. Like, look at the heat. So, one second. I Just keep talking. I have to mute myself for a second. And they, play, they played uh, Haywood Highsmith uh, at the four, right? Um, you can play, like, Hart is kind of the guy that you can do that with. That's a lot of his value. Um, and it's worth noting that, like, DiVincenzo's not going to play the four, but if you do have good guard rebounders, and if for whatever reason, it, it makes it easier to not have a, an elite rebounder at the four. That's without even talking about the fact that Obi wasn't really an elite rebounder. Um, so I think that with Hart, um, it's it's not that it's not that difficult to see that it's probably something we wanted more of last year. Um, and and same thing with RJ, although RJ leaves a bit to be desired as a rebounder. Uh, you know, we'll see if that improves. Um, I do think one thing that the heart, like if you play hard at the four, it, it, it even makes it less likely that you would put, um, you know, that you would um, play Randall at the five. So if they could find a guy like that, I'm going to throw a name out, for example, and I'm curious to your thoughts on him. Do you think they would go after a guy like Trenton Watford, uh, a guy with some upside, probably won't cost much. You know, if he does, if he can't play, it's not going to, cost you a lot of bad ill will because you don't give him a big contract, but if he can stick and maybe play some some four as a backup, maybe even some five next to Randall, 
is that the kind of guy that maybe intrigues you? Um, you know, if they decide that, yeah, we like Card and RJ, but we'd also like to, to make one of these bets. Um, I don't know if you've watched a ton of Trent and Watford, but I like Trent. I like the idea of Trent and Watford. I think I would. I would sign him. Um, he's athletic. He's a big body. He's six nine. Does he? I think he has a seven foot wingspan. I'm not totally seven sure. two. Yeah, seven, seven two. two not a shot blocker, but he's been a. The thing is, like, actually, if you remember, he actually killed yeah, the Knicks played, that, What didn't he kill the Knicks in that summer league championship game? He killed the Knicks in summer league. He also played against that Franz Michigan team, and Franz mm-hmm. killed him. Uh, but that LSU team played zero defense, and it's funny the way like Watford was like a good passer who could shoot a little bit, and like in the pros, he's turned into more of this guy who can like play the four and the five, defends well. He's actually been one of Portland's good finds. He's a really good passer; doesn't turn the ball over. Um, you know, I, the shooting is a little bit of a question mark, but he'll step out and take them. So I think he's like a, a nice little. And like if the shooting is more real than you expected, that's a good find. A guy who can play the four five and hold up on defense, allow you maybe to play Randall, you know, in a five-out system. Yeah, and he probably won't go for more than, like, four or five mil over two years, right? So, Yeah. Um, I, I would – he's a guy I would definitely like for the Knicks to kick the tires on. Um, Nikias actually had a list of, like, a lot of – like, a couple of them were fours. Like, Mamu – I can't say – Mamu – Mamu Kailashvili. Mamu Kailashvili, he's on that list. There's a lot of intriguing four or five guys that maybe that way you can have Hart and RJ as your plan A, but guys who can fit that mold and also have a little bit of upside and will be cheap. Um, I would like to see the Knicks add a guy like that um, just to you know cover your bases and, and to make sure you have some size on the master. Right? So. Yeah, um, I, I I think they do. Like, I'm fine with them not signing a four that like should automatically be in the rotation type of thing. I'm fine with that because I think it's I think they should like if Tibbs can't make those choices himself to experiment with small ball lineups unless injuries force his hand, then maybe th- like this is what you have to do, right? But they still do need to get some size on the roster. I think Trendon Watford would be a very interesting pickup. Um I, I think that there are a few guys. I mean, I know Jermichael Green's out there. If you want to just have like somebody who can you could throw out there every now and then, sure. But he looked pretty cooked to me last year on the Warriors. Um, but yeah, you're right. There are there are options out there that they should explore. I know Jalen McDaniel signed with the Raptors for what was it? I think two years, nine million or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and and it's important to note the Knicks do have room now for the biannual exception if they want to use it. Um, I don't know if they do. I wonder if they want to save that for next year, but. Um, I I'm I'm laying on Trent Wofford. I like that idea a lot. I'm out, I mean I'm fucking surprised Portland waved him. Like I was very very surprised by that. Maybe so, maybe Dame didn't like him. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, now come back, on, Trent. Uh, there's also like um. So I thought I saw an article that the Knicks don't have access to biannual unless they trade Fournier. Is that longer? It could be right. I mean, I might be. That the biannual exception. I mean, I can check right now. It might be the, if they use the biannual exception that puts them over the uh, the tax line. Uh, yeah, the the biannual exception could get them. Yeah, it would put them over the tax line. Right. So, so like, they can yeah. do it, but they would have to pay tax. Like, I see. Yeah. Or, I mean, they could use a part of the t- biannual exception if they wanted. Also, that's a that's a possibility. Um, they also are hard cap now at 172 million because of the mid level exception. 
So they have about just under 11 million in terms of uh, breathing space to the to that to that hard cap. Um, so on that note, kind of, do you what do you think happens? There was an article that was put out today. Um, I forget if it was Begley or if it was Bondi, but the Knicks, you know, they're looking to trade Fournier, um, you know, a salary and like a trade, but they also don't want to make him sit on the bench again, which is understandable. He's a good soldier. Reward him for that. Do you see, like, what do you think happens with Fournier? Uh, I could see them trading him for like a similar expiring contract, maybe, or a smaller, like one trade that's out there. Doug McDermott, he's on the Spurs. Maybe you trade Fournier, attach a second round pick because they're taking on more salary. Uh, Fournier and a second round pick for Doug McDermott. You know, maybe that's a trade you make. Doug McDermott makes about 13 and a half, I think, a year. And then part of the value for the Spurs would be you know, Fournier as a mentor. Yeah, he's French. Him and, I, I think that's and, a little overblown. Vemunyama speaks fluent English. Um, yeah, but, but you know, you they, know. they can do like French stuff together. Um, and be French and do all the, like, eat baguettes and whatever. Nemo can tell us if he's still French there. fries. Yes. Uh, but, like, yeah, I mean, I think I, you can do something like that. I, I, I am, And the other thing, too, is expiring contracts have value um, now, especially with teams that are, like, probably going to need to get under various aprons, cut their tax bill, whatever. Um, I don't know. Like, I get that they want to be... They want to do right by Fournier and get him somewhere he can play because he was a good soldier last year, took the benching well. Um, but, like, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, they have to be able to use him in a trade that makes sense. They can't just fucking trade him to trade him. You know, they can't just be like, oh, my God, we fucking we don't want to hurt Fournier so much, so we're going to fucking trade him for bullshit. Like, no, that doesn't make any sense either. Um, it, the trade has to make sense. So... I don't know. I mean, honestly, before they use the mid-level, because, you know, look, this DiVincenzo thing, I expected that to be like a fucking 6-0-3 signing. You know, like, I, I did not expect it to, to last this long. So as the as it went on, I was like, you know, I was like, are they listening to my harebrained idea of, like, attach three protected picks and trade him for Keldon Johnson or something? Like, is that going to be the move? But But to your point, like, nine, like, having to play nine guys that need to play is it's a little bit tight, but like a coach should be able to manage that. If you traded Fournier now for a guy who like needs to play, that's a big problem. Like I don't think they can do that now. So um yeah, I just I don't know. I, I think it'll be tough, but I do the McDermott one for me is like I like that idea for a lot of reasons. One, I just I think McDermott's a fun player. Two, he is a fucking sniper still to this day. Um and Three, like he's just—he's not important to the Spurs, right? It's not like the Spurs, are like, oh my god, we need fucking Doug McDermott here. No, I, I think there's something maybe there um, to be said with that trade, but we'll see what they do. And like, you know, McDermott's also like—he'll probably be okay with not playing. He'll—he'll he'll be fine with the situational designation, you know. Yeah, I mean, he's averaged twenty minutes game for his career. Doesn't usually play 81, 82 games. Um, he's a pretty solid scorer, um, career, he's career 41% shooter. It never felt like he was that great of a shooter on the Knicks. It always, but, um, the numbers are, are pretty much in his favor. And yeah, if you're going to have a depth piece, you'd want it to be someone who can knock down a couple of threes and like hold up on defense. Like that's kind of the, that's the kind of guy. I don't know beyond the French thing if there's a whole, but like 
they might say, and Fournier is probably a better fit in a Popovich type system, right? Because you know the, his ability to play in a free flowing offense, drive, kick, make quick decisions, move the ball, throw an entry like he's a pretty good entry passer. And the Knicks yeah. had no one that could take advantage of it. Well, be, Fran- be French. I, I think um, if I, my memory serves me correctly, the Spurs drafted uh, a center, so someone who could throw a good entry pass should help and be on board with that. So, oh, did they take um, Noah Clowney? No, they took Derek Lively. So, <laughs> um, um, we should yeah. probably get to some of these comments, though. Right? I don't know if there's. Yeah, we can. We can get to some. Uh, we do have to do the. We have to talk about Dame because I think the Dame thing is hilarious. Um, so here we go. Uh, I think this is a fair one. Kind of wonder if Turner will grab enough defensive rebounds to allow Obi to leak out. Defensive rebound is just going to be a problem for that team. They're going to get destroyed in the glass every single night. Do you think Turner's that bad of a defensive rebounder? Like, I don't think. He's not, but Obi's not a great defensive rebounder, and then the rest of that team is kind of small, right? Like Matherin, uh, fucking. They have a Hall- million six five six yeah. six guys. I do like the Bruce Brown pickup for them, and I did like when the contract first came out. I was like, "Holy shit!" But the fact that it's basically twenty two and a half million for this year, and then a team option on the second year, I think that makes it a lot better. I think it's a good contract now, actually. Um, I agree with this guys playing 25 minutes per game instead of 28 doesn't make that big of a difference. Yeah, and, but so let me let me clear that up. What I'm saying is it's tough to get him to even 25. It's tough to get him to C20 right now. Like 20 minutes with this rotation, unless you're just giving DiVincenzo 15 or unless you're capping Grimes at 24, it's just tough to like to get him to 25 will be tough. But, but I think he's going to get to 25 just because guys will miss games. Like. Yeah. It, that's what happened last year. I don't think I don't know what he averaged in games where like we had a full rotation, but he didn't average twenty eight point nine minutes per game last year because that was his actual like. That's yeah, and when he when Brunson was out, he's playing forty eight right. fifty five minutes. Yeah, yeah. so I, mean, I, I don't know if that's good enough for him. But no, um, and I, and honestly, that'll probably happen again this year. Like, because let's be realistic. Like, unless Deuce makes a serious improvement as far as like creation, what he can. Which, what he can do with his handle, you know, his wiggle. Does he know who he is at the elbow? Can he figure <laughs> that out this year? Um, but, like, unless that happens, like, if Brunson misses time, it's going to be fucking, all right, quick, you got 48 minutes in you tonight? Go for it. Um, I think this is a good point, too, from Dirty Dancer again. Our defense was really good in the playoffs, whatever their measurements were on the wing. I agree. Um, and actually, like, I'll say this. I know that our, I think our offensive rating this year was third, and then our defensive rating was 19th. I don't. I don't care what anybody tells me. Like Tibbs is not some awesome offensive coach, some like super creative guy. But, but, and and I think that gets exposed in the playoffs. Like this is a theme with his teams. But if you want to, you know, give him credit and and really like make an argument in his favor, I think it's worth noting that like our defense, both times we've been in the playoffs, has held up. Like it, and actually this year made a drastic improvement from what it was in the regular season. So I think he does deserve credit for that. Um, also, you know, if I'm going to pretty kill... good in, against Miami too. Like yeah, Jimmy no, didn't was... kill us, and as much as we fretted over like Struess and those guys hitting threes, yeah, again, Miami's offense did well against us, but it wasn't like compared to the other. They played some other good teams. And they, I they think I think we had the best success against them in the playoffs defensively. More than maybe. Denver, I, I'm not sure. It's one. Of, it's one of the other, obviously, but like it was pretty close. Um, and Boston yeah, like, is an elite defensive team, by the way, so that's no small accomplishment. Yeah. And also, like, I know there are people, I've, I've talked about this with Jeff, too, where, like, oh, well, Miami shot poorly, we got lucky kind of thing. And, like, yeah, but at some point, we're out in three seasons now of, like, 
teams magically shoot worse from three against the Knicks. They've got to be. There's something there. I'm sorry. You don't just get lucky three years in a row for however 240 fucking games or whatever the hell it is. Um, this one is from EJ1. Is our end game really training the farm for Embiid? Seems like such a Nixie move to give up everything for a big over 30. He will just get hurt all the time in New York. Oh, look, I, I've mentioned this before. The Knicks made an offer for Embiid after the playoffs this year, whenever the Sixers exited. I know like they did make an offer for him. Uh, I don't think it was a very serious offer. It was kind of an offer where it's like, if they took it, the Knicks would be like, wow, that's fucking great. To not expect that. Um, but I think they wanted to, you know, just register their interest. And they were told, from, again, my understanding, more or less, Embiid is not, He's not getting traded this summer. We're not trading Embiid this summer. Um, sure, but I do think, like, yeah, obviously he's a target of interest. And, look, I'm I'm with you. I, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about Embiid's health, but but I think this needs to be done. I, I, I'm, people can criticize me for this fairly. At some point, you're going to have to take a risk on somebody, and it's not going to be, like, the perfect... Like, you're not going to get LeBron, prime LeBron James or peak Michael Jordan. Like these are players that are not going to come to market. If you want to say Giannis, wait for Giannis, fine, but guess what? Everybody's waiting for Giannis. It's not just you. And I know technically maybe everybody's waiting for Embiid, but obviously we know he has a relationship with Leon Rose. Would you rather trade for Embiid than a guy like Donald Mitchell? I think Mitchell's price will be lower. And honestly I think there's a chance Mitchell is out of there by next summer. I, I did like I'd like the Struz pickup. A little bit questionable about the Niang pickup, not because I don't like him as just kind of like a four that can shoot, but that number seemed pretty high for him. Um, I like Struz there, though. That's a good pickup for them. Though, you know, maybe there's some Spolster attacks that we'll see. We'll, we'll I mean, he's a shooter who... Yeah, that's. I think that's the thing. Like, is he someone you can pick on on defense? Would the Knicks be able to pick on him on, uh, on defense in Brunson more than they were able to probably in that Miami series? I don't know. What I'll say is this. With those kind of shooters... That makes a lot of what the Knicks did on defense less tenable, right? Um, so, you know. So they maybe, did defend Struce well. Needs to be said. Yeah, but I'm saying if you have Struce in Cleveland and Mitchell drives, it's tough to help off as aggressively as the Knicks did off even LeVert, right? I think Struce is a better shooter than LeVert. So. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, Struce is like, it doesn't matter the percentage. You're just scared of him in a way that you're not scared of fucking LeVert. And you can run actions with Struce that you can't run with, like, LeVert. Like, you can. He can sprint off pin downs, like straight up sprint off pin downs to get that shot up. Um, he, he's he's a really good shooter, um, so that was a good pickup for that. But yeah, look, I, I I'm with you. I think there's a lot of reasons to be worried about Embiid, but if you, I mean, and this again, this is just where I think the Knicks need to operate, and this is where I think I I'm confident anyway, or I suspect that their front office is thinking like this is. Every guy that you're talking about, any big move, star move, whatever, the lens of that should be, do we think this guy makes us a championship contender? I don't know what the hell to say about that with Embiid, because I don't even know what an Embiid trade would look like, look like right now, right? Um, but if you think that move, whatever it is, gives you a chance at winning a championship, then you should you should at least be open to the idea. Now, the fact that Joel Embiid has never made it past the second round is very concerning to me. And Stacy, I know we've kind of argued about this before, and I do hear you when you're like, you know, is it like Joel Embiid can't get past the second round, or is it 
the Sixers can't get past the second round, and is that all on Joel Embiid? For sure, I think there's some reasoning there, but like at some point, if you're that guy, you just got to show it. I'm not asking him to win a championship. Just get me to a conference finals, buddy. Well, our good friend Tyrese would remind us that um, I think the big issue with Embiid um, would probably be the turnovers and double teams' inability to handle. He's not Julius Randle when it comes to that, but um, yeah. I would say that that does cap you if you're a team that any team is going to be built around Embiid, right? Yeah. I, so that that is the I guess the worry there. Yeah, and I think this is a good point. This is kind of like where I think the Knicks are operating. This are all again from Dirty Dancer. Getting a top five player like Embiid or Giannis during Brunson's prime, which is right now, should be the goal, 30 or not. I I think that's – and I think we can also say 30 in the league today in 2023 is different than 30 was in 2015, you know. Um, can't I heart just play at the play the four at the free throw three-point line and then play Sims more at the center spot? I hope not. We saw the stretch five I heart thing kind of fizzle out. I don't know how much of a shooter he really is. I think he's more willing to take threes than he is willing to make threes. <laughs> um, but, but no, I mean, look, I think there are very specific defensive situations where that's actually, I think the defense of that group is fine. It's not about their defense is actually really fucking good. Cause Sims is a, like, he's athletic enough to guard a lot of fours and, you know, he can get out of the perimeter and switch and all that stuff. And I heart's obviously a really good rim protector. But the offense is just fucking rough, man. It is really, really hard. Um. Yeah, I think we got a couple more. Uh, Fournier to the Rockets for someone or picks. I don't know if they have the contracts anymore that make any sense to do this. I'm very. I'm the the, the Rockets are hilarious. Uh, here we go. This one is from Chris Bernhard. What truly cost the Knicks was lack of defensive rebound and miscommunication on the wings. I agree, the defensive rebound and killed them in certain games. Uh, I think especially Game 4, man, that was brutal. Even Game 6, they had some I think they were just gats at that point, though. Game 4, they were very shorthanded, right? So, yeah, uh, and, quickly, and, see, quickly quickly, was out for that. Quickly was out at that point. I think Randall was up, but he played this, the playoffs hurt. And then RJ had a bad rebounding series, uh, needs to be said. Like, that's actually the one thing. Like, we talk about the passing and decision-making with him a lot. His defensive rebounding, and I know the numbers look fine, that's a, that's one thing he just needs to like be more focused on just boxing out. And it, I, honestly, it does seem like young player stuff that I yeah. don't think it's effort based. But yeah, I think the technique. I mean, and even going back to Duke, what was the, remember? Do you remember the tournament game where they nearly blew it because he didn't he's, box he's, out? Yeah, Aubrey Dawkins. Yeah, former yeah, that, uh, former Wolverine. <laughs> yeah, that was a great. By the way, if you go back, that was one of my favorite uh, Taco Fall against Zion Williamson. That was a fun game. But this anyway. is from Karimimimino. New York, shut the fuck up. Y'all so fake. Y'all definitely don't represent the majority of Nick fans' opinion. I don't know what we just said that warranted this, actually, but... Um, I I always assumed that every Knicks fan had the same opinion as me, so this is... I'm going to reflect on this. Thank you for, uh, for watching, and thanks for letting me know. Um, yeah. And actually, you know what? Why don't you shut the fuck up? You're fake. Fuck you. Um, all right. This one is from Pharaoh, our fearless leader, Julius. Yes, our fearless leader, Julius. What up, Pharaoh? <laughs> uh, I, I look the Julius thing is so interesting because after that playoff run, I was just like, "Fuck this guy." Have had a little bit more time to think about it, and I probably was harsh on him. Um, but like, I'm still very much of like, to me, he's a guy. I'm not. Tr- I still don't trust him, especially in these big games, big moment stuff. Um, 
I probably he probably deserves a little bit more credit than I gave him, a little bit more leeway than I gave him in terms of dealing with his injury in the playoffs. But again, like some of the effort stuff was just so crazy to watch. Um, it's tough, but yeah, I mean, look, Julius is going to be here in all likelihood. I, I, and honestly, I think Begley might have said this today. I think this is going to be more or less the roster to start the year. Um, so you don't see them making a Paul George or James Harden trade. I think James Harden seems very unlikely. I hope to fucking God they don't make a James Harden trade. But well, so to be clear, if there was RJ and picks, would you do that for Paul George? Well, like I, I know Jeremy oh, had. I, oh I yeah, watched the whole pod, but the whole Jeremy Mad Scientist thing. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't seen it. I know, like, and and if, for people that haven't seen it or heard it, Jeremy basically did the math. If the Knicks, Jeremy trade, Cohen, sorry, yeah, no, we don't need to. People know who Jeremy is. He's a, he's a big, he's a big celebrity in New York. Um, not too many gingers like Jeremy. Um, if you do the trade, I think it's basically like if you do RJ and Fournier as the salaries for Paul George, the Knicks' salary cap they end up one hundred thousand dollars below the uh the luxury tax line so they still want to be in the tax so um yeah if, i mean look i've talked about this before i'm i would do rj and fournier and like a pick and protected pick or two probably i don't even know like i it's really hard to understand right now what the value of things is like with this new cba it, it's the trade value stuff is really hard to figure out right now um so i'm just not sure how to price a guy like paul george like i think there's really an argument where you would be like the Knicks are the one doing the Clippers a favor here, so there shouldn't even be picks involved. Because do they want to pay Paul George's next contract? I think that's something worth considering. Um, but yeah, like I think if if the major outgoing players are R.J. Barrett and Evan Fournier for Paul George, there is a price point. I think that I would. I don't know. I think I would do that. I would do that because I think Paul George, if right, and I understand the injury risk is significant. So if people that like don't are not comfortable with that say that like that's the reason you say no, that's fine. I totally understand that. I don't think it's unreasonable at all. Um, but I would do that because I think if he's right, there's real championship upside with this group. I, so can he be the best player on a championship team? I think throughout his career, he's like he seems to almost be the best possible player you can be with just something missing, right? He's a great defender. I, he's I not even a bad passer, but it just seems like him being the guy has always had a little bit left to be desired. I think he can be the best player, but he can't be the best offensive player. And you don't think he would be on the Knicks? Which is no, I think I think I think yeah, I think Brunson is the better offensive player, just a better shot creator, more trustworthy in key moments of like late games and stuff like that. And it's it's honestly insane how good of a three level scorer Brunson is at his size. Like it's fucking ridiculous um, how good he is. Especially like you know, this is one thing I think that probably holds back quickly in terms of his explosiveness as a scorer in tight game situations at times is his mid-range release point on a shot isn't it's low right so it's harder to get that off in mid-range Brunson's release is so like it, it's just crazy how good he is in the mid-range um but yeah I agree with Farrow here after seeing the Sabonis contract I love Julius he also says ready to run it back I, I would I mean look I think the Knicks should obviously and they, they will be they should still be open and, and willing and aware of different opportunities available to them in the trade market. Like, if there's something that pops up, you got to take a shot. But, yeah, I mean, I'm okay with this because I don't think this is running it back. I, I think as things stand, this is a – we're running back eight of the nine guys in the rotation, but we are putting Tibbs in a position 
where he's going to have to do more than just play like traditional one, two, three, true four, true five. Like that, we're going to have different combinations. I think that's really important. I think that's significant. Um, this is from Chris Bernhard. Not Knicks related, but good for Lamelo on getting the bag. So the next team he goes to doesn't have to pay him. Um, uh, maybe that is Knicks related. Yeah, maybe. But look, I, I, I've said this about Lamelo. I think he's an incredible talent. I just have no idea what to like. I, I don't know what he is right now. He's had he had such a weird season last year, obviously with the injuries. Um, he's super talented. But then you watch him sometimes in these tight games, and especially those both the playing games they've been in have been a fucking disaster, which isn't entirely on him, obviously. But like, not not a great look. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm I understand it why Charlotte did it. I think it's they kind of had to. But if I were them, I would have just taken Scoot, and then I would have been at least kicking the tires on what is Lamelo worth? What is he worth? Um, and tried to. Push back my timeline a little bit. Give me Scoot and Mark Williams, baby. That's the that's the next Kobe and Shaq. Um, you mean uh, wait? Isn't Mark Williams the Hornets? They yeah, but I'm saying Scoot. I would have taken Scoot. Oh yeah, yeah I guess you. Do you uh, like Brandon Miller, by the way? Um, he's better at assisting shooters than shooting. Um, <laughs> no, he's sorry. <laughs> um, Look, he's 6'9". He can score at three levels. The rim stuff was a bit of a question early. He's a big-time shooter. He's got handle. Um, how much he could impact winning overall? Well, he played on a winning team. Um, you know, like, the defense, you'd probably like to see more impact than he showed being given his physical tools. But, like, you can't really go wrong drafting guys like that. And it's it's not a situation where it's, like, Cam Reddish, where it's like, oh, in theory, this guy looks like, like Brandon Miller was really efficient as a shooter uh, from multiple levels, getting his own shot. And um, so it's actualized. Like, he's going to score. The question is, how much more can he do around that? Uh, and can he do it consistently at the rim? Um, I would have taken Scoot, because I think he's a generational prospect or close to it. But, um, you know, taking a 6'9 guy who shoots 40% from three and can create his own shot, he can do worse than that. So, um, By the way, this is from Prez. Mentioned this on the Discord. Biggest play type for Dante DiVincenzo was a spot up, 32.5% of his shots. Hit that in the 95th percentile. 1.3 points per possession on spot ups, 1.2 points per possession off screens. Um, that's definitely something that the Knicks could uh, could use. So, yeah, that's definitely interesting. Uh, also from Prez, DiVincenzo only took 12 runners floaters last year. So I guess... What the hell is he doing in the three to ten feet area? He's just pulling up for like really short jumpers. Uh, he, he takes a lot of shots from three to ten feet. So, but yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Maybe it's like uh, maybe he's dunking from ten feet. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I think the Dame situation is pretty interesting. And I, I this is what I was wondering too: is like, were the Knicks holding off on a Divincenzo? mid-level signing because they were maybe potentially trying to get in as a third team in one of these hardened D deals, Dame deals, whatever. Um, obviously, that's kind of, I don't want to say put to rest because there's always possibility for something. But, um, yeah, look, I, I just think this Dame one, I hope that Evan Sidery, I think he aggregated this for about Woj, but Woj said that 
Um, you know, Joe Cronin isn't just going to honor his request to be my, like Miami or nothing else. He's going to try and get the best deal out there. And quite honestly, like, I think that's the right thing to do. Um, Dame, as much as he's been loyal and hasn't run from the grind, Dame has also cashed in on that loyalty, right? Like, he's, he wanted to stay to the point where he got that two-year, $122 million extension that they added to his contract. Like, they also, I mean, I know I did the, I said, like, Jeremy Grant, I don't really mind that signing either way. But, like, conceivably, they did sign Jeremy Grant because Donovan Mitchell would not officially request a trade. And I get it. Like, yes, they should, the front office, Portland's front office, probably should, and I'm sure they were aware that, like, they might request a trade. But until he does, you can't know that. So you have to operate how you operate. Um, I'm, are, Do I think they're low-key happy that they requested a trade? You could convince me they are not unhappy about it. Um yeah, they but do like, have Scoot now, right? So yeah, I mean, I I love Scoot. I think you know, I don't know how him and Simons are going to work. I don't think they will work long term. But for like a year, two years, or whatever, for right now, I think that's fine, right? Just have I actually head. like Simons better as like being focused on being a scorer than like because Scoot is a really good facilitator, and Simons like like I think we too often divided into off ball and on ball, where there are guys like a Levine, like what you said about Levine, right? When you run the offense through him, his limitations show up. But if he can still have the ball in his hands a lot, but isn't tasked with setting everything up and can focus on scoring, I think that's still where I like Simon's the best. And yeah, so that's I mean, why I think I – and I think in that sense, Scoot is really good for him. Yeah, I mean, I just think Simon's is like an interesting player. Like, I'm surprised no team has – I mean, and maybe that's because teams are waiting to see how the Dame situation shook out. But, like, I'm surprised no team has really aggressively pursued him at all because I feel like – He's just his shooting metrics are fucking crazy, man. He's a yeah, phenomenal young player. Yeah, he's a phenomenal shooter. So yeah, I, but I'm with you. Like I, I, I get that. But like if I'm if I'm Portland, I'm like, look, man, I'm gonna tr- I'll try to honor your request as much as I can. But you got to give me more to your list than like Miami or nothing. Get the fuck out of here. Like, like I'm not just trading Tyler Hero for Tyler Hero and the poo poo platter of picks they have just because that's where you want to go. You know, I'm not handing you over to Miami because of that. So um, that's good. And I, I agree with this. Uh, I think this would be actually a good. If thing. I wanted to worry about Florida, I'd move to fucking Miami. <laughs> Johnny Sack. Portland should trade him to the Spurs. They would get a haul. I actually don't hate that. And uh, one one other team uh, in San Amos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Wemby. That would be awesome, man. I don't know, they're not trading Wemby, but putting him with Wemby, that'd be so fun. So what awesome. would they give up? Sohan and Vassell? You'd have to you'd have to go up the cell, right? Yeah, like give up the cell, Sohan. I mean, they have all those dudes they drafted, right? Branham last year, who actually he his floater, by the way, is really yeah, nice. He's a he's a nice mid range player. Yeah, he's it's he. I guess you can take the Ohio State out of a guy, um, <laughs> but like, I mean, Stop they've got a, yeah, but they've got a few like they've got a bunch of young dudes they've drafted. Right, Keldon would be an interesting guy to send back to Portland. Throw Keldon in the deal, Keldon. Sohan, Calvin. I would Sohan. imagine Vassell is the one guy Portland would. He's he is San Antonio's. Besides, obviously, Wemby. Yeah, and I would rather keep Sohan if I'm then than Vassell because I, I think I I, disagree, I, but... I just like him with Wemby. I think their defense is going to be fucking awesome with those two. Um, but like, if you, I would do like I would consider that you get four years a day. He's locked up, right? Like he's not a, a flight risk anytime soon. 
Um, actually, and another team that Sam Amick mentioned in his article today, kind of behind the scenes of the Dame trade request or whatever, uh, he mentioned that Utah had kicked the tires. And I actually thought that was really interesting because Utah has all these picks. They're probably like if you, if they're if you buy that Markinen is what he was last year, then they can't really tank. Um, so like cashing in some of those chips for Dame is interesting to me. I would, I mean, that's they were in the playing mix, right? I mean, they wouldn't, they would still, they would be pretty good probably next year. I think they'd make the playoffs. If they got Dame. Do you know of any teams that are close to contention with a troubled young point guard who also have a lot of picks? Should I say that again? Troubled is maybe a strong word. Is, are there any teams with a, a, a superstar young point guard with some issues that were close to contention <laughs> last year and have a lot of picks? Yes, I am aware of... Uh, Do you think Dame likes picks? barbecue? Uh, I think everybody likes barbecue. <laughs> I, I i'm being tongue-in-cheek but maybe not i don't know like i don't would they do that like but why Dane, would Bain and but, Jared why Jackson? would but why would memphis want why would sorry why would portland want ja if you're if you're trading dame it's very that's your best chance of getting a talent that's close right to but, the level. but if you're trading dame aren't you just like it's because you're Giving the keys to scoot. No, you're trading Dame yeah. because he wants out. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, that's true. But I mean, your your motivation. I mean, you took Scoot because you think he's. The, and I look. I, I love. I think Scoot's gonna be awesome. I think he's gonna be really, really good. I think he's super fun. Um, I just like his everything I've seen of him, heard of him. Like his mentality seems fucking great. Like he seems like one of these guys that's just gonna play fucking hard all the time. Um, and he looks like he's. I mean, he literally has been in the gym since he's four years old or something. So I don't know. Like, I'm pretty unscrewed. I mean, if you would, if you could get John, maybe flip him to another team or something like that, that'd be something to consider. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, to bring it back to the Knicks, um, if the Knicks don't get a start in the next two years, Spido will be available. I think I'm almost positive he's going to be available. Uh, he's not extending in Cleveland. I'd be shocked if he extended in Cleveland. Well, he might get traded to somewhere like. Well, maybe not Miami, but I mean, and all the place this, where he's fine extending. Right? This, this is where this falls on Mitchell, though, right? Because part of the reason why I think he didn't get traded to New York ultimately last year is because he would not put his foot down. Like, say what you want about Dame taking forever to make the trade request. At least, like, and I understand Mitchell didn't technically request a trade last year, but once they were shopping him like all summer, don't you think he could have been like, "Look, New York's my preferred destination. I'm not going to extend anywhere else, even if you." totally would potentially extend somewhere else. If you want to go somewhere, it behooves you to put that out there. And I think Dame is right to do that. He, he wants to go to Miami. He should put that out there. Like, I, I mean, I guess his, but he can't even threaten, like, I won't extend because they're like, great. We don't want to extend you at age 38 anyway, buddy. Like, we're good. <laughs> like that, We'll just take you for the next four years. And we'll yeah, move that's on another consideration, that. right? Like, yeah. yeah, he doesn't really have much leverage here. Yeah. So, uh, I, I mean, mean, I guess he could threaten to retire or something. Yeah. And do, give up, what do you, we'll give up two hundred billion dollars. Yeah, I guess we can close this. What do you think is? Uh, what do you think of Harden going to the Clippers? Do you like that big three? Harden, PG, Kawhi. Um, no, it makes them even more top heavy. I think. Look, I think when health, if Kawhi, and, if Kawhi Leonard is healthy, you can't count that team out. 
would bringing Harden back and giving them facilitator help? Yeah, sure. But their problem isn't that they don't have enough star power. I still believe that. Like that, that Nuggets win. Maybe now the Nuggets have improved. So maybe now they have passed the Clippers. But th- that series where Kawhi and Paul George were healthy and lost the Nuggets. That to me felt a little bit like a like that fourth quarter. George was shooting shots off the side of the backboard, which was hilarious to watch after he called himself playoff P. But like, whatever, he, like that's not that doesn't mean that that can't work. That was a, a really bad game. Uh, I don't in a poorly. You know, there are a lot of things like it was. You know, one of Doc's worst coach series. Um, so do I think it can work? Yeah. Do I like it? Um, I mean, I think they're they're not going to have depth, but maybe they don't really have too many other options. It's kind of between that and, and burn it down. But the, the biggest issue is this thing has been availability. You have, when healthy, maybe the one of the two or three best players in the world. He, like, his health is just not reliable anymore. Um, Paul George is, when healthy, another top 10 player. Um, does Harden solve that? His availability hasn't always been great. If, you know, if you send the a strip club connoisseur to LA, <laughs> is he going to be, show up to camp in shape? I think that's a, that's a valid concern right now, right? Um, so if if they manage that, you add a great passer to two elite isolation scorers. It can really work extremely well. Um, but and that's another thing, right? Like I don't know what the Clippers are thinking right now because on one hand you have people saying would they trade Paul George? On the other hand, this is the other extreme. Like you know, would they push their ships? They, I mean, they're not trading Paul George. They get Here, here's a theory. Um, the two theories. One theory: Bomber doesn't like his ROI on this team, wanted to, does not have any interest in trying to max these guys again, um, and told them to, hey, look, I think we can sell Kawhi by himself to move into the new stadium. Let's just see what you, see what's out there for Paul George. Test the market, see what's out there. That's one theory. Second theory is the front office wants to pivot off of this path. And Bomber is in his, uh, let's call it the early Dolan phase of, no, 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 but just get, just get one more guy. Just get one more star. Trade one more, trade everything for one more star. From Bomber's past, the, no, 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 the Zoom can work. You can compete (laughs) with the iPhone. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I think there's something to like Harden. Look, you're going to a new stadium, the star power of Harden. And look, they they also re-signed Russell Westbrook. By the way, I I kind of want. I, he was he actually was decent there. Yeah, I kind of want. I think I want Harden to go there now. Like I I want to <laughs> Russ Harden team. George, <laughs> the, the Oklahoma City Bizarro Oklahoma City Thunder. Plus yeah, just bring back bring back Nanon Kristich to play the five. What's, what's Serge Ibaka doing? <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know. I I kind of just I think I need to see this team. Um, and then you get the Players Tribune article. My next chapter from. Uh, I did from like the, I did like that pickup they made. Uh, KJ Martin. I thought that was a good pickup. Yeah, I kind of wanted the next uh, go after him. Uh, friend of the pod, Larry Israel has, has been on the KJ Martin uh, like for a while. I, I get why. Larry has some interesting agendas. He's had KJ Martin <laughs> and uh, Andrew Nemhard was another victory for him. Yeah, that was the, he. He was early on that. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm. You know, I think it's fair. We can kind of wrap up with this, but I think it's fair if you are annoyed at, like, at some point they do need to make a big trade. They do need to make a. They need. To, they need to take a, a big swing, and I get the frustration of like 
not doing that. And I'm of the opinion that like I am worried a little bit about running it back. I think at least moving Obi was a smart preemptive. And, and I mean, look, I, I don't want to give them too much credit here for like trading Obi for two seconds, but it was a necessary move. You, I don't think you wanted to bring him back to a situation where he, he, I mean, how depressing is that? He knows after three years, he knows if he comes back, I'm going to play 15 minutes a night. That's it. I have nothing else is going to happen. Um, I don't think you want to put him in that situation. Obviously, we got the reports that him and Tibbs got into an argument um, after game four where he didn't play in the second half at all. Um, so, like, I'm happy they did that. But if you wanted more wholesale changes and you think they needed to make a big swing, I totally get the frustration there. Just don't know if that move is out there this summer. Like, I really don't. You know, I they obviously kicked the tires on Levine. But how much do you want to give up for Levine? And is Levine, like, to me... Levine is a risk. Like, uh, not in like he's a good player as much as I've clowned him in the past. He's a good player, but if I trade Levine for RJ, right, or RJ for Levine rather, the Knicks were the third best offense in the league last year. They were the nineteenth best defense in the league. Is Levine moving the needle on offense so much? Well, I mean, you said yourself, right? It's not that's not the only consideration. It's also if you are in a playoff series, um, you know. And you know you're struggling to score and shoot against a team like Miami. Um, does he help you on off, like help you win it's, that series, even and, if you're, you know, even if in the regular season and you're and I, don't match up. Yeah, and I and I still totally believe that. But he's played four playoff games. Like, is he? We don't know what he is. I'm not saying he is a playoff choker or something like that. We don't know. It's been four games, so it's just to me, it's like I get I get the argument for trading for him, but something about it, again, I keep going back to this, like, the numbers all say, like, you should probably make that move if it's available to you at a certain price. I just, something about it just makes me feel like, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't feel right. I'm not trying to get Levine. It's just, I can't quantify it. It's just a gut feeling. I wouldn't do it. Um, not to say he's a bad player, but, I mean, I did like their little pickup of Javon Carter. I think that was a smart move for them, actually. Yeah, no, I, uh, well, Javon Carter, I think, is, like, a really interesting like I just like improved, him. He's improved as a shooter a lot, but do you know where he went to school? West Virginia. Yeah, so he he was Deuce before Deuce, like pit bull point of attack. He's guy. a he's a Bob Huggins disciple. Yeah, he's a Bob Huggins, <laughs> leaving out the the transphobic shit from Bob Huggins. A lot um, of shit from Bob. Huggins. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, but th- that's that. And he's now he's had to really elevate as a shooter. Um, but you know, that's kind of I think he's like I think you're seeing now a resurgence where. You know, during the analytics phase, a lot of a lot of people were like, you know, point of attack defense was probably, you know, in terms of looking at a defender overall, like team defense became more important, right? I think you're seeing that guys who can play the point of attack and not hurt your spacing, uh, they really, because they can disrupt an offense, they can use up precious seconds of the clock, uh, and most of them have the athleticism and the awareness to, like, not just be a one-trick. Like, Deuce is good off ball, too. It's not like he's just only a, a press coverage guy, if you want to feel like that. Um, so I think that, um, Javon Carter is good. The shooting matters, but I think especially with so many teams preferring to play their offense, run their offense through big wings, right? Whether it's a guy like Randall or whether it's a guy like Luca or something, those guys are starting to be more in vogue. And that's another, like, that's yet another way in which quickly has to, like, there isn't a place in the league that quickly can't fit and be impactful in, right? So, um, that's a side note. Obviously, you don't have to be quickly in every conversation, but I agree with you on Carter. Uh, I think he's a good player. Yeah, I, I like him. Um, I'm. I don't know. They're if they're gonna run it back. I guess like 
he's an interesting guy to bring. Their defense with him and Caruso should be really, really strong. Um, so that's a good pickup for them. The Lonzo thing, obviously. Like I just, if I'm them, I'm just I'm done with this. It corner. sucks too because he was good with them. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's and I think like again to bring it back to Levine, the argument in his favor is like, look, the one time that they had good guard play, that team was first in the East, and Levine looked great, and they were fucking doing work, and you know whether they were going to really win a championship or not, I don't think they would have, but but it's that's the one time in his career he's actually had good guard play around him, and they were really good. So you know, if he got to New York and he got to play with Brunson, maybe that's. That's the that that takes you to the next level. We'll see. Um, if it does happen, anyway, we'll see. Um, all right, I think that's a good place to end it. Stacy, let people know where they can find you and uh, plug anything you'd like to plug. Yeah, um, if you have not used six hundred tweets um, or three hundred, <laughs> if you are not verified, uh, you can find me at Stacy Patton eighty uh, nine. On that note, I'll plug Blue Sky. I'm planning to check it out or <laughs> somewhere else. Um, and uh, shout out Elon Musk. And uh, yeah, other than that, um, yeah, nothing else to plug. Um, awesome. I have nothing to plug, but I will plug this because Twitter might be dying. If you like listening to us talk and you want to talk to us about basketball more frequently, join our Discord. It's fun. Um, as I mentioned, there are a number of tiers. I'm not going to go into that whole spiel. But yeah, check that out. Uh, that is available to you on Patreon, so you can subscribe to that. Uh, other than that, I'm just going to plug all the work at Strickland, all of the uh, wonderful stuff that we have going on, articles. Jeff wrote a really good article uh, that dropped on the eve of free agency that I'd recommend everybody check out, um, kind of about the not uh, the the place where the Knicks are as a franchise right now. It's good, but there are d- tough decisions looming for them moving forward. Um, so definitely recommend reading that. And aside from that, you know, again, just uh, check out the Discord, Patreon. Uh, definitely worth it. And yeah, again, that's our show today. It's brought to you again by Ben Online. I hope everybody has a great week, uh, holiday week. Maybe if you have Monday off, good for you. Uh, enjoy the fourth. Be safe. Enjoy all the burgers and beer. I'm sure it'll be a blast. All right, everybody have a great fourth, and I'll see you on Friday. <laughs>